A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Welcome to the Rings of Power Lorecast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to Tolkien's world of Middle-earth. I am John, and my usual co-host David is currently visiting the elves of Greenwood the Great, and will return for the season finale. So, today I am joined by Aaron from Bald Move. Thanks for being here, Aaron. No problem. Glad to be here. This is our Lorecast on the Rings of Power, Season 1, Episode 7, The Eye. In this episode, we have five segments a discussion of the Season 2 production updates, some details on the lore behind Celeborn and the Stranger's Spells, an audio diary sent by David, my interview with special guest Craig from the Legendarium podcast, and a listener feedback segment. Before we get started, here's a quick reminder that you can send feedback to secondageatbaldmove.com, and we'll get to those questions on the next episode. If you want to talk Tolkien with us sooner, Join us on the Bald Move Discord, link in the description, and at baldmove.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our Firehose feed, The Lorehounds, to get all our content about the Rings of Power and other shows this fall, like The White Lotus and The Wheel of Time. White Lotus has got a release date, October 30th, so keep that uh, keep this feed subscribed. Ooh. And please, if you have a moment, rate and review our podcast to help other people find it. So, Aaron, to kick off our discussion on this episode, before we get into our segments... David actually sent me in a uh, hot take, he called it, Uh, a hot take on this episode, and uh, he said, can you paraphrase it? But I think he paraphrased himself, so here we go. The episode is a hot mess. I think the showrunners started strong but fell into too many trope traps, and they got stuck in needing to get the series out and on air. Hopefully, they will have the time and space to craft what we need for season two. What do you think, Aaron? What do you think on David's take and your own? John, I fully vented my spleen. My spleen <laughs> has been uh, uh, cleansed, and uh, I, 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 I lit some sage, 
kind of uh, <laughs> fumigated it. Uh, I, I'm here. I, I have nothing left. I've got no bio left. I've got nothing but goodwill and charity towards the show going forward. I'm here to help you guys process your grief and your trauma. Um, so how, how can I help you? Because I obviously, you know, this uh, the, the, the problem with the show is that the main plot is just got a lot of problems in terms of audience giving a shit, in terms of like just straightforward st- storytelling, in terms of going for broke with fake out death cliffhangers. Yes. Um, and visual spectacle, spectacle that, 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 you know, when we're not even really fully invested. Whereas all of the B and C plots are being handled very, very well. So, um, I don't know because, like, I, I I'm not aware of their 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 time and other what constraints on the show that they are spending half a billion dollars on. Um, I think that these, uh, um, I, I think these are growing pains from very fairly inexperienced storytellers at this scope, and it's kind of amazing it turned out as well as it did. They are probably going to learn into the, the jo- on the job and you know acquire some of these skills and learn a lot of things hopefully from this season. But like it just, I mean, it just sucks that you got people training wheels working on a half billion dollar show that is so treasured by so many people. And it also sucks that, um, yeah, I mean, all, all the things that they did and the, all the stuff they talked about, about, you know, um, how much they respect the Tolkien stuff and all that. It's like, he's, he's, at the end of the day, you still have to make something that makes sense and is entertaining and, you know, uh, rises people's suspension or, or um, suspense and, and investment instead of, like, f- making people feel like they, they, they wasted their time. So, like I said, I've, I'm, oh, I'm back to venting mode. What, what, did, what did you, what, what did you think about this, this episode? I thought it was bad. I'm just gonna say, yeah. I thought it was a bad episode of TV. Like soup to nuts, or like what was it? Did you, did you, did you enjoy any of it? Let, let's before I we get to the, the Doran stuff. Mostly, okay, mostly. Uh, they mm, did double down on the Silmaril Mithril thing. Which, uh, yeah. you know, if you listen to my interview with Craig that's going to air later, we sort of hashed out why it's such a big issue if you love the Silmarillion. Uh, mm. So so that that's going to be a good one. I felt badly okay. a little bit because we were going negative, and I'm like, oh, man, what if the next episode is a banger, and we're just downers mm-hmm. in the middle of this episode, and then, uh, well, this episode happened, now I don't feel badly anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. I'm still in on the show. I still think it's recoverable. I don't think it's beyond yeah. the veil, but uh, this episode just didn't do it for me. I mean, we keep hearing about how much the showrunners love the Tolkien works, and yet mm-hmm. there's details that are so sloppy that it makes me question if that's true. You know, like, why is Celeborn... We can get into this way later. Why anything with Celeborn with this? Why is he MIA... Uh, why is Galadriel not really concerned about where he is? So many things. Uh, you know, what's the deal with? Do they have a daughter yet? Um, any of that? Why are we going to the Pilar gear, which is relevant to the story, but not at all what it, what they're mm. doing with this? And it doesn't make sense. And it would have been easy to do it the way that it happened in the book with this story that they're telling. Uh, I, oh, okay. I and I can't even. I, I asked you to look into that when I was you were saying like you know because I got to see it a little bit before you and I didn't give any spoilers but I did say 
you know, as far as lore, you might want to bone up on, you know, the whole uh, Celeborn Kele- and uh, Tele- or Teleporn, as, I, as I'm not Teleporno. now like to calling him. Teleporno. That's his real name. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's also Tolkien's uh, adult production company that he founded in the 60s and <laughs> the swing in 60s. Um, what shit? I forgot where I was going with this. Uh, that was such a good joke. Oh, I, and I said bo- bo- bone up on this like little N- Numenorian outpost. Is that the delta of the Anduin? Is that how you pronounce that? Anduin? Yeah, I think so. Anduin, Anduin. You know, whatever um, you want to do. We say Galadriel all the time, so Anduin is like the least of the offenses. So yeah, I'm I want to be fascinated to hear, I guess, a little bit more about that lore. But I, that's my question too: is like, why did they have the need to kill Celeborn in this war, or at least have him go MIA? Because they already established that, you know, the loss of her brother was this big deal, this big foundational character arc. And that, you know, that maybe would justify her leaving her husband. But, like, uh, it's weird that she's spent so much time mourning and thinking about her brother's death, but she didn't so much as visit her husband's grave. Did he not get a tree car for him in that cool tree cemetery? Uh, the, and the fact that the way she portrayed it was like an afterthought. It's almost like... The, the 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 character of Galadriel steeled herself before like oh man the fan people are just gonna lose their shit oh by the way my husband's dead like is it it was just a weird it's like now she's got double dead dude motivation yep yeah um, all right so here's here's why I think that they're doing it and these are my okay. internet points I'm betting now so and that is that they are going to have Celeborn come back and say hey. I talked to your brother Finrod, and he said, it's time to let it go. And then that's going to be her big, like, whoa, I don't need to be a warrior anymore. And I can go be a majestic witch elf in a forest and be the the person I need to be in the Lord of the Rings. I think that's what they're going to try to do with it. Because there is precedent, and we've talked about in this podcast before, for elves coming back from the Undying Lands. Uh, it's yeah. very rare. They usually are not allowed to like come back to Middle Earth, but Glorfindel is one who was yeah. allowed to come back from the Undying Lands because of his deeds of valor, basically. Uh huh. So somebody called him Celeborfindel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, man. I I don't know because like that seems goofy. That seems like a weird thing to be like, unless you have the direct intervention of your dead loved ones, unless you get that kind of closure, unless you have some kind of Patrick Swayze ghost moment. You're going to be doomed to be on this revenge mission. And also, Galadriel's been right. She's mm-hmm. not wrong to pursue this thing because there is evil coming back into the world. And there are these, or it's like, maybe she's right for the wrong reasons. But I don't know. That's the thing. It's like when the, the I feel like the themes are getting a little muddied. But let me ask you this. Is it uh-huh. above the writing level of the show at this point? Uh, Well, I mean, that's that's the that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, I feel like, yeah, if he comes out of a shaft of light like Gandalf the White and is like, yeah, you're, I talked to your brother and he's like, chill, chill, bro. Yeah. Build some paper boats. It's like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. I'm giving Theo yeah. my whole sword collection and we're done. Yeah. But what does that even mean for Gladrail? She's just going to stop being a warrior in the middle of the series? Like, and then, so that's like, is Celeborn going to come back in the li- final season? I, I don't know. I, it, it it seems plausible. I just don't know how they're they're gonna they're gonna fit it in. Um, so let's let's use this as a segue though, because I have some Celeborn details, and I and it'll be weird if we go back to this later. So let's use this as yeah, a segue to get into Celeborn, and um, you know he he was someone who 
Tolkien was sort of confused about what he wanted to do with him. He uh, uh, originally was named Teleporno. He couldn't figure out if he wanted him to be one of the Cinderin elves or one of the other kinds of elves, like a wood elf. And uh, eventually he settled on Cinderin elves. And so that's kind of a big deal because the Noldor usually don't like to intermingle that much with the Sindar. Uh, so that was why Teleporno uh, marrying Galadriel was, was a big deal. And anyway, also a detail on the Sindar, because I think this is fun, is uh, the Sindarin elves are the Grey Elves because they were ruled over in the kingdom of Doriath by King Thingol, who saw the light of the trees, and by his wife, Melian, who's one of the Maiar, so she's one of the demigods. And so because they were ruled by these two like higher beings, they had like some of the benefits of the higher elves. And so that's why they're the Grey Elves. But anyway, so the, that's that's Galadriel's husband, and their daughter, Celebrian, is the wife of Elrond in the Third Age and the mother of Arwen. So so we need this family to exist in the Third Age, which is why it's so terrible. It's a little important. And also, we see this guy existing in the Third Age. Right. You know? Like, not only do we need him, but like, he also exists. Right. Um, so if you are a Tolkien, you know, fairly, I think, I, I, I think that's beyond the casual Tolkien fan. They're like, Hey, you know, that Fabio guy that hangs around with Galadriel, that's actually <laughs> Caliborn. Tell Caliborn, me where is Caliborn. I much desire to yeah. speak with him. <laughs> Tell me where is Caliborn? Cause we wonder where the hell he is. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, 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 um, I don't know. It seems like there's other things they could do with their time, but. Uh, for sure, he definitely needs to come back at some point to uh, to to intercept the Peter Jackson so they can use the Balrog assets. You know, I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I get, I get what they're trying to do with it. Kind of, I don't totally get it, but I get that they're trying to add extra drama. But I think that they have enough mystery boxes and they have enough. Well, the thing is, it's like let me let, let, let so I'm and I, I know I'm trying to help you. Uh, but maybe we're trying to help each other. <laughs> I every time people use this because this is this is this is the kind of stuff that you start. Oh, we start getting middle season Walking Dead. Uh, they're trying to make it dramatic. Trying to do this. Trying to do that. We just talked about the fact that like only reasonably hardcore Tolkien fans even know who the hell Kella Kellaborn is. Like mm-hmm. it is kind of weird to just name check a rando person. Like, oh, my brother, who we very established, I got this whole dagger thing, and I gave up the boat to heaven so that I could continue his revenge mission, and I, all the elves give me shit about it, and I just the work, and like I talk about him all the time, and I visited his grave, and he told me, held my hand, and told me that uh, sometimes you got to swim in the dark, and like oh, we've we've had we built this guy up, we know this guy, and also my husband that you don't know is also dead. That's another motivation I have. Right, it just feels like put it feels like putting a hat on a hat. Right, you know. A character, she's got she got a cowboy hat, and now you just put a fucking pork pie on it. Like, what, like, what was it that she was responding to? Though, was it Theo saying, "Did you ever lose?" Yeah, someone? Th- have you ever lost anyone? Okay, so answer with Finrod. Yeah, yeah, my brother. He meant the world to me, and he was taken, and I just never got over it. Like, boom. Uh, and then just like I said, the way she hesitated, like, and also my husband. It's just, it's just weird. So that's the thing. It's like I, um, does it. And does it really enhance the drama and make it more emotional when you name check a person that you don't know? No. 
You know, you know nothing about it. And Galadriel has not, in seven episodes, mentioned one damn thing. She's not had, like, an elfin wedding ring that she looks down and, like, sheds a tear. She doesn't talk about being lonely. Like, there's nothing that's indicated that this is something that she's processing. It's like her brother is the big thing. Why why introduce it? So it's like, yeah. yeah. So, but the thing is, the other thing that worries me is, like, unless there's some amazing answer for, like, why they have put this guy, fridged him, um, it's like one of those things where it's like if it's one thing for a fan person to defend their favorite show by like, well, what if they're just trying to make things more d- dramatic and exciting? And it's like, oh, is this what we're complaining about? Well, there's like important storytelling reasons why you don't want to do that, why you don't want to just jerk people around like that. Mm-hmm. But like, it's another thing for a showrunner to like do that, you know? And I, I, it's like it's 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 like boy, when if if their motivation for doing that is just to amp up the drama, that's just so cringe yeah you posted cringe bros anyway yeah it was it was weak it was weak sauce as they say um i will say on galadriel she is a very underdeveloped character in the first and second ages and that's because that was a Mm. creation for the lord of the rings it was not an original idea from the legendarium and so tolkien sort of retrofitted galadriel into the first age stories and the second age stories and that's why we don't have a lot of details, and that's why they're taking such liberties with her. And I've been okay with that. And, you know, if, if you guys have been listening to this podcast for, for this long, then you probably know that I've been pretty loose about, you know, if you're changing lore details here and there to make the story more accessible, that's okay. That's okay. Um, and your interpretation is going to be valid. Where it starts to break apart for me is where things that, are available in the source material end up on the cutting room floor and we change things on a seemingly arbitrary basis like the the whole Celeborn is maybe dead and the Pilar gear thing because the Pilar gear I can't even talk about why it's such a big problem without spoiling probable events in the series <laughs> Great. but uh, it's a problem it's a problem that it's a, a big thing right now um, and and for important reasons so just take my word for it. We'll talk about it later, maybe. Yeah, and none of these are fatal problems. Uh, these are things that, um, you know, you can kind of work around and write, write around. It's just that, like, um, I will never probably for several seasons, if they threaten the character with some kind of death cliffhanger, um, I will never buy believe that again. I will never be legitimately, you know, uh, afraid for any characters because no one died of note. Uh, Isildur's right. third best friend is the most notable casualty of the entire thing because you've got you're like three. Hey, Ron, there's only two. No dumb fuck. Barracks number one. Then you got Dwayne DeRock Jr. And then you got who you got pacifist guy. So yeah, his third best friend call. got got killed, and that's it. And no, Isildur's not dead, obviously. So like you know, like they want to be like, well, what if the this? Uh, no, no, don't don't be stupid. So he's in the prologue of Lord yeah. of the Rings. He's in the prologue of. And, Lord and, of the Rings. You cannot tell me. That he's gonna yeah. die, and this is itself like a degenerate form of cliffhanger. Like uh, the, me, and Jim has started to talk about this a lot. Um, there's two types of cliffhanger. One is, oh my god, literally a guy's hanging off the cliff. Will he fall down? You know, and that's like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe he will. Most of the time, he's going to find the strength and climb up, and that tension will be resolved within 30 seconds of the the next show. And then, then what do you do? Uh, this the superior form of cliffhanger is, holy shit, major character just fell from the cliff. 
and they're dead in there because what the hell does every what is but everyone going to do you know um then that that relies on the emotional stakes of the character uh the connections they have with the other character uh their fitness it's not just a purely oh my god is is someone going to die that's just the that's just not a that's just um it's a lower league of of cliffhanger um and and a cheap way to build suspense and drama I, I totally agree, and, and even the suspense of will Muriel ever see again—that's enough of a cliffhanger. Yeah, I don't need—I don't need a sealed door to, or even make her be the one in question because we don't know if she'll live or die to the end of the series. Yeah, and also it's like okay, it's like it's not even like will she, won't she gain her sight back, but like how is she going to adapt? What will her people think? Is she going to be true? You know, is, is uh, there, there's a lot of things like you know what will this? This is a big change for a character. I'd prefer if she doesn't go back because it's more interesting for a character to change and overcome um, and adapt mm-hmm. than it is to be like, Oh, you had this one thing that's restored to you. And you know, yeah, elven, elven magic, whatever. Uh, anyway, yeah. I, like I said, I, I, I already fully vented my spleen. Apparently I, I recharged a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> I just, I got added a lot on Twitter. That's, okay. today. <laughs> that's all right. You know what? I, I thought it was bad storytelling. I thought it was bad storytelling. Yeah. Here's some things I liked. I did like the Quenya, uh, from uh, the stranger talking to the tree, and I liked the the ent name dropping or or sort of allusion uh, to some trees mm, talk from Sadok Burroughs. They keep that was teasing cool. me these ints, man. Yeah, yeah, gotta see some ints. Yeah, and we kind of did in the first episode, but not enough. I need, I need some more ints. If they could, here's here's the here's the non kind of thing I want is give me an explanation for where the entwives mm-hmm. went. Yeah. Give me that, and then I'll be happy. I'll forgive this whole season, the whole thing, if you tell me where the Entwives went. It'd be hilarious if, like, there's an inverse relationship. The elves needed the Mithril to survive, but the Entwives needed the Mithril to be in the ground so that it would impregnate the groundwater. Oh. They were somehow recharging, and, like, the elves pumping it out. They've, they've created an, an unintentional environmental disaster. All right, we're off the rails here. <laughs> I'm bringing us back. What would the elves even do, man? That would be a, that would actually be a sick ass plot because like they're all about the trees <laughs> and living in harmony, and here they 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 done they they done fucked up. Mm. Are they going to go the Lorax or the bulldozer? <laughs> Who knows? Um, all right. We also have uh, I have a few little translations from that Quenya from a piecemeal. Oh, translation. I was hoping you would. Quita. Quita basically means awaken, rouse, live. It's like a come come up awake. Mm-hmm. And uh, Envinata means heal or renew. Lote means flower. So he's basically just ordering this tree to, to, to heal yeah, itself. Yeah. To, to unwither. By the way, I totally agree with you. On your podcast, you said something about, you know, you see a few trees are burnt. Am, am I really buying that this whole grove is yeah. burned and they can't do anything with it? Um, I didn't buy yeah, it. It's like oh, our five favorite trees. No, right, right. It was a little. It was a little odd. Um, I think that they've settled the are the cultists evil or not? Yes, I, I think they are firmly in the evil yeah, camp e- now. now. Evil Swedish death metal band. They've been upgraded or downgraded. I don't think Swedish death metal bands are inherently evil. You know. Well, let's get some Swedish feedback in here, you know? <laughs> all right. That's pretty much all the lore talk I have for this segment because there wasn't a lot of it. We're really off the lore rails right now. And uh, I just, 
I've dug up some production details that are pretty interesting. And I think that they, those can help us get to the core of what's going on in the show right now. All right. So the Hollywood Reporter just did a big article on uh, season two. Have you seen this? I saw I've been seeing it passed around on, on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of it was like a fluff piece where it was just, yeah. you know, the showrunners really love Tolkien, but... Uh, a lot of it actually had some bits and pieces that were helpful. First of all, season two has begun film- filming. Uh, mm. October 3rd, they started, which is really odd because they also said we have like a couple years to work on it. So it's, it's odd that they're already filming, but it started filming in the UK and they are definitely at least centering their production on the UK. Okay. So that's a big shift from the New Zealand season one. Right. You think that's going to have a big impact there on? Hmm. If I were a producer and the Middle Earth was so important to this and, and Middle Earth is New Zealand, I would have, you know, sent a lot of D C and D team units to the various iconic film locations that uh, Peter Jackson used that we used in season one and maybe stuff that we pre-scouted for season two and get all that establishing stuff and then try to composite it and all that. But like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, that's that's that remains to be seen how much of the character of of, of New Zealand being Middle Earth, um, how much of that mystique is going to be important to the the, the showrunners, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's a, that's an important part. But then again, they made the Hobbit movies in New Zealand, and those were hot garbage. So it's not a guarantee mm-hmm. of quality. It remains to be seen if it's some kind of uh, you know kiss of death. But uh, yeah. I'm. You know, with with the relative inexperience of the film filmmakers and what we've seen uh, thus far, I guess I'm a little bit more worried because that feels like a little bit more magic that could potentially be be left out. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. I think that the visuals have been the saving grace of the show, especially right now when we're uh, ragging on the lore stuff and and even not not even just lore, but like storytelling issues, and that's the bigger issue is. Are they telling an effective story? And so if they can't lean on beautiful landscape shots, we're, we're going to have an issue if they don't step up that writing. So I'm hoping yeah. that they compensate with a better writing staff and maybe a new showrunner. Not, I don't want them to like fire these guys. I'm not asking for anybody's jobs to be taken. But I think an extra set of hands to guide the steering wheel a little bit and stop them from swerving so much would be nice. Yeah, and you could just maybe it's just you just beef up the writers writing room. Um, yeah, you know, put some experience right. Yeah, but shoot, I don't know, I don't know, because I yeah. They also had a couple quotes from the showrunners that I think that sort of get to the core of what I'm having issues with this season. Mm-hmm. And so here's the first one. They said it has to be about good and evil and the fate of the world, or it doesn't have that epic feeling you want when it when you're in Tolkien. And they're talking there about small scenes. Even the small scenes need to have the world stakes. And I think that they're totally wrong on that. I think that when you look at the Lord of the Rings, some of the scenes are like Sam is complaining about not having potatoes and and his cookware not being available and and uh, bonding with Frodo. And so you have to have those little moments of like friendship and lightness and bonding. And they're doing that in the Doran Elrond scenes, but they're not doing it in any of the other plots. 
and you're not having I said this in the Craig interview, but I'm gonna say it to you because you're all Game of Thronesy. Is the what was the Tyrion Lannister quote that was like interesting conversations between people in beautiful rooms? Uh you you just need that like intimate moment between characters to get me to like these characters. Yeah, they have to be believable people and you know, a lot of stuff on the Numenorean elves elven side doesn't feel they they feel like these big important people that you mm-hmm. know I, that may maybe even be fronting a little bit that might be you know uh uh putting on some kind of show for the, the to be powerful because they're leaders or they're demigods or whatever yeah i agree it doesn't um and and the amping up the stakes like it's not that the dwarves and the elves are just uh, cautiously entering an alliance because the elves are going to try to do some kind of new magical ring construction that the, the dwarves are kind of somewhat curious about. And the dwarves have this super metal that they're it's got to be like, no, if they don't do this, the elves all die. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's uh, I, 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 I take all those uh, Gilgalad scenes about the leaves and this, that, and the other, and all the palace intrigue. I would rather fo- focus that into more Durin and Disa, you know, and Elrond. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I think that they, they're, they're going too macro with the issues and uh, yeah. like right away. And, and it, sort of, it sort of goes against this other quote from them where they said, it would be very tempting to make the first season of this show, The Sauron Show, very villain-centric, but we wanted that level of evil and complexity of evil to emerge out of a world that you're invested in, not because evil is threatening it immediately. We wanted you to fall in love again with Middle-earth. We wanted you to understand and relate to struggles that each of these characters are are having before Mm -hmm. we test them in a way they've never been tested before. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they're doing that, Aaron? It does seem like we've gotten to evil pretty, pretty freaking quick. You mm-hmm. know, it does seem like it. We've had these kind of like world-altering stakes. Um, you know, we started with the world of elves dying and evil comet hitting in the ground, and uh, you know this this previously uh, unknown lieutenant of Sauron taking over half uh, a quarter of the continent of Middle Earth. You know, <laughs> like. No, you're you're right. Sauron has not been on screen thus named, but yeah, I don't I don't feel like we got to just settle in and love Middle Earth except for maybe that first episode you could argue. Like I I still think those first two episodes where we were just kind of getting into the story and getting known like and establishing the mm-hmm. shots, like I did feel myself getting sucked back in. But then it's just like, man, Is- Isildur's whole family's so unlikable. Galadriel has been, you know, uh I think believably but like very traumatized and uh very angry um a, a, a pretty hard to get to know and then you've got halbrin who is just kind of an archetype of a character he's a, a king who's lost his lands but you know well he, he keeps he keeps alluding that's the other thing they keep alluding to like if only you know what i did yes and if i'm like well yeah if only I knew what you did. Right. And Isildur, if only I knew what the hell was going on the west coast of Numenor. And, you know, it's like, why Why are these still going into the finale episodes mysteries? Um, you know, you, you see this argument being made that, like, well, they only have eight episodes, so how much could they really do of character development in that? Mm. But they also have not characterized anyone, and they have not moved the plot forward. Like, the main plot of the Second Age has not been moved forward an inch. Yeah. And yet 
there's also no character development. Like, I understand the need to do both of those things, but you need yeah. to do one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I... Um I do like they have. I do feel like they have done a lot of character development over on the Harfoot sides. Like these are people that I did not know sure. before, and Elrond, who's a different person, much different person than he is in the films, and Durin, who I didn't know. Like they've done. It's just yeah. Like it's it's really. It's it seems like it's all connected to the Numenorean. Like they don't they don't know either. They don't know confidently what they're doing for the main plot. And they're like using a season to stall, or they sold five seasons to Amazon because they wanted some long-running thing that was going to compete with Game Game of Thrones and Lord and Ring or uh, House of the Dragon. But there's just not not that much plot, you know. Like that yeah. story didn't need uh, what four times. Like uh, what would that be? Like fifty hours, uh, fifty or forty mm-hmm. forty forty six hours or whatever. It, it just didn't need that much uh, plot, you know. And you've got like a super hobbit problem where it's like it looks good and it sounds good and everybody's like you know there there it's not like you don't care at all what's going on but just like it feels was that bill what bilbo says like two little bread scraped over too much too, yeah two little butter scraped over too much bread it's it's just thin it's thin yeah yeah um and you look at some of the other pitches that were made to Amazon because first of all there was another detail in that article that Netflix it sounds like bid more money than Amazon but the mm-hmm. Tolkien estate was given more assurances from Amazon on creative control yeah. and so that's why Amazon got it so that's kind of interesting that that the Tolkien estate was more on board with this for less money um, that is the other piece of it is when Amazon got the rights they like solicited a bunch of showrunners and some people were pitching uh, basically to do third age stuff. And as I was reading the appendices the other day, cause we just, we're just finishing up the uh, Lord of the Rings read along on the bald move discord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I was reading the appendices the other day and I was like, man, there are some cool stories in here about Gondor leading up to the Lord of the Rings about the origins of Rohan, about the dwarves uh, because you know, that whole ball rocket thing actually happens in the third age. So there's so many stories they could have told in the 30s that actually have a lot more detail. And I'm wondering if just you can't make an effective show out of the appendices for the second age. Hmm. There is some of it, yeah, but it's, it's not that detailed. Because that's one of the, a lot of my ats were uh, to the extent along the lines of like, you don't understand the limitations that they're working under for the Tolkien estate. I was like, you're right. I don't. But you know who does? The showrunners. Like mm-hmm. so, like <laughs> their pitch presumably was getting around those and still telling a compelling story. So, yeah. like these are like not you know these these are not the defenses of something of of an art project that, that I think people think they are. No, and also like you have the full rights to Caliborn and you have the full rights to the Pilar gear and other like nonsensical changes. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's just no excuse for some of them. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them are just changes for the sake of changes or lazy changes. So I don't want to get into the whole, well, the limitations, the limitations, that's an excuse for so long, but you have to tell me a good story. Mm. So anyway, that's my beef. Thank you for helping me through that, Aaron. <laughs> I feel like I made it worse again. I, I, I wanted to maintain a frame of positivity and grief, uh, like a grief counselor, and I just ended <laughs> up being like, you're right, you're getting shit on, dude. Your life sucks, man. <laughs> Why even get out of bed in the morning? Like, I was terrible, terrible at that job. You you helped me with validation, so you know what uh, we we got there. Um, I'm 
here, here, here's where I'm at. I am ready for this season to conclude. I'm hoping that the season finale answers at least some of the mystery boxes. Because if it doesn't, I'm going to scream. Yeah. And if, But if it does, and it does that effectively, it could make the season a pretty good season in my eyes. This yeah. episode was bad in my opinion. The season has not been bad in my opinion. The season has been pretty good in my opinion. I agree. I think that most of the average uh, episodes are above. It does suck to have a late season stumble, um, but they yes. can recover. And I agree. They need to put to rest one or two of these puzzle boxes. I need to know mm-hmm. the stranger, at least if he's good or evil. Mm-hmm. Um, probably need to know something about Halbrand and what the hell's going on. You know what? Why? What? All oh, this this dark tragic past that he alluded to. Um, or we need to know what's going on in the western the, the western shores of Numenor. Yeah, probably that's the a number one because like there is no reason to care about anything going on to Ellen Deal and his family at this point. In fact, like I'm <laughs> I know it can't happen, but like uh, when the roof collapsed on Isildur, I kind of like man, it'd be badass if he died. <laughs> no, they're gonna kill Caliborn. Like, let's 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 get rid of the this guy too. Esol Porno. Let's get rid of this guy because he's not he's not fun. Yeah, let's just put Porno at the end of the name of every single name in the Legendarium. <laughs> right, that'll be good. Galadra Porno. Uh, <laughs> you got any more thoughts on this episode, Aaron? Uh, no. All right. Well, first before our break, we're gonna play a clip from David coming out of Greenwood the Great, which, if you'll remember, becomes Mirkwood Forest later. And uh, is the forest where Thranduil and Legolas are living in the Lord of the Rings, and uh, that's the 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 forest that uh, the stranger was sent into by Sadok Burroughs. Oh, you got to make sure that re- as the clip plays, the Greenwood Briar Forest or whatever gets slowly replaced by a sinister Mirkwood font. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that? Quick, I thought it's pretty cheesy. I thought it's yeah. pretty freaking cheesy, but you know. I was like, I, I was oh, kinda, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it, it seems so much better if it's just Mount Doom in the background throwing a fit and just a choke lands and people, you know, I think people get it, right? I thought people got yeah. it. That this yeah. was, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe they needed to, that's the third, third step of a Martin reveal. Yeah, maybe. All right, so now we're going to hear from David and we'll be right back. Hey, John. So this is probably... Well, it could be my final audio diary, or I could do one more. I haven't seen this week's episode yet, but I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Um, But I had a couple of notes independent of the episode that I wanted to include um, after my last uh, audio diary. Uh, I'm on my final leg home. uh, I'm at the Grey Havens waiting for my ship, and and I should be heading back uh, very shortly. Um, but a couple of thoughts, as I said, independent of this week's episode. We got an email from David M. Uh, he sent an email to both us and Jim and Aaron about Amazon and uh, Rings of Power and House of the HBO House of the Dragon analytics and the numbers and how many you know viewers and watching and all this kind of stuff. He posted a link to an interesting article on The Ringer about some analytics. I don't know, maybe we can post that in the show notes. Uh, I'll leave that to you. But what is interesting is is that there's a lot of data that indicates that HBO might be um, winning the ratings war on this. But I wanted to point out something that was really interesting. As I've been traveling outside of the United States, 
no matter where I've been, as long as I've had a reasonably decent internet connection, I can download an episode of Rings of Power onto my computer. They have an Amazon Prime video app, and I can watch an episode from anywhere I want in the world without any rights-related issues. So no matter what country my IP is reporting in, I can download and watch Prime, uh, or at least original content. I haven't tried to rent anything or anything like that. Whereas if I want to watch House of the Dragon or Andor, I need to use a VPN and stream the episode. So I think there's an interesting question here, and I, I think the Ringer article that David M. had uh, commented on might have global numbers, but I really wonder if we are really getting good reporting on the global numbers. And I wanted to remind us all that Amazon had red carpet events in Mexico City, in London, Mumbai, as well as New York and L.A., um, all international cities. I mean, Mumbai and Mexico City are huge, huge places. And if they're pushing any kind of advertising like they here on the state, uh, as they are here in the states, you know, anywhere else in the world, that's a very significant play on Amazon's part to um, create a global viewership for this property. So I think that's really interesting. And, and obviously, I don't know that we're ever going to get straight numbers from either HBO or Amazon. But when we're talking about ratings wars related stuff, I, I think we should keep that in mind because Amazon isn't playing small ball here. They are really going for global and they're making it easy. Uh, whether you're on a web browser or if you use their downloadable app, they're making it so that you can watch your episode anywhere you want, whereas you have to go through a lot of hoops to get on to, say, Disney or, or HBO. The number two thing I wanted to mention was that I saw Fellowship of the Rings, I think it was them, posted something on their Twitter feed about Middle Earth Enterprises filing for seven trademarks. Now, if you remember in all our rights conversations, you know, about who owns what rights and, and all of it, licensing and all of that kind of stuff, Middle Earth Enterprises was a doing business as organization part of the Saul Zaints company, which had bought the rights from MGM, which had gotten the rights from United Artists, and which had gotten the rights from JRR himself back in what, I think it was 69, if I have my, my dates correct. Um, so Saul Zaints has held the, the rights, the film and television and other rights to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit since then. Now, we had just before... Uh, Rings of Power started to air, we had the big news that the Embracer Group, which is a Swedish video game and entertainment conglomerate, had purchased the rights from Middle Earth Enterprises, a.k.a. Saul Zanes. But today, we see this, that, that Middle Earth Enterprises has filed for seven trademarks. Now, I'm not a IP lawyer, but it looks as if Middle Earth Enterprises is still in the game here. And I, that calls into question now, I'm not sure what Embracer, the Embracer Group purchased. Did they actually buy the rights or did they buy a license? So, and I think it's important that we recognize that as the IP for Lord of the Rings starts to spread out and we've got a lot of things going on, we've got two different things we got to remember. That the film and TV rights and TV rights that don't include eight episodes or less 
are sold and owned. Now, has Middle-earth been licensing those properties? So not selling the rights, but allowing somebody to pay them money to use those rights to make products? Or have they actually sold the rights and actually transferred them such that Middle-earth Enterprises no longer owns them? That's a question that I don't know yet. I couldn't quite tell what was going on there. And we're seeing a whole bunch of other new Lord of the Rings IP coming out. There is Lord of the Rings Gollum, a single-player console game that's going to come out that's not Embracer. It looks like Wizards of the Coast is going to be releasing a Magic the Gathering uh, version of Lord of the Rings. There's a couple of other video game titles coming out. We certainly have got the War of the Rohirrim animated film coming. So, for me, this goes all back to the tinfoil, the, uh, the tinfoil hat theory that I had for why the uh, Tolkien estate wanted to get out and sell something and start to, to be active in the intellectual property space. And that's why they put their, those, uh, those uh, rights up to bid, which Amazon won. So it feels like, along with Marvel's Cinematic Universe, and uh, what else do we have? Well, you know, DC, we can't do can we really call them in, or, or Disney with Star Wars. Um, it feels like Star Trek is rumbling around in there, too. All of these big IPs, we're going to have these huge groups of, of material out there. So we've got a lot of sci-fi covered, um, and so it feels like the Tolkien IP, the Legendarium, is going to be a major fantasy corner of all of this massive entertainment that's coming out. And I think it's really important that we all remember that the Tolkien estate, and who, no matter who the sons and daughters and um, grand, you know, grandchildren of and whomever of J.R. himself, the rights have been sold. That barn, that, that horse has already left the barn. And who gets what, and who's licensing to whom, there's going to be a big spread of material that's out there that is not under the purview of the Tolkien estate. So, we're, you know, whether we see, see Tolkienists sort of lighting their hair on fire and running around in the yard talking about how, you know, Tolkien's legacy is being destroyed by this or that... You know, Tolkien did that in 1969. He sold the rights. That that was it. I mean, nobody could foresee what we were having here. But it's out there now. And uh, and I probably would guess that that's probably why the Tolkien estate is holding on so tightly to the Cimmerillion stuff as well. Because that's the only ground that they have to be able to stand on when it comes to other things, that, you know, other than book publishing rights. Okay, um, there's probably more to be said about that later, uh, but it's a really sticky wicket, as they say on the other side of the pond, uh, in terms of, uh, of rights materials. So I'll keep my eyes on it, and I'll keep um, uh, reporting on that as, as I can. Thank you again for all the hard work. It was really great to hear Marilyn and Aaron on the pod last weekend. I'm looking forward to getting home and uh, catching up with you in person. Um, talk to you soon. Bye. All right, thanks, David, for sending in that audio diary. And when we come back, you're going to hear my interview with Craig from the Legendarium podcast. Sp- 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Okay, and we're back, and with me today is Craig from the Legendarium Podcast. Craig, how are you doing today? Not too bad, John. How are you doing? Pretty well, thank you. So, Craig, do you want to tell the audience, the Bald Move audience who doesn't know you too well yet, what do you do at the Legendarium? Uh, okay, well, we're the, we're the um, how, how do you put this, we're the leavings, okay? There are a lot of podcasts out there that are very specific, you know, they deal with the Song of Ice and Fire, or hey, we're all about Tolkien, or uh-huh. hey, we're all about the Wheel of Time, whatever the case may be. Um, we are all-purpose sci-fi fantasy book nerds, and we do shows and movies too, but largely it's a, it's a book club podcast. Uh, but we'll tackle all sorts of stuff. Uh, but yeah, this year it has been, you know, we, we had kind of the spring summer of Tolkien, diving uh-huh. into the Silmarillion, preparing for the show. Uh, so that's been something we've had a lot of fun with this year so far. Yeah, I've been loving your Silmarillion read-along. I mean, you guys broke that down into, what, 11 segments, was it? Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, and you did a deep dive. You did a did a nice discussion of everything. To, to be sure, uh, to, to be fair, to set expectations for anybody who might go check out the Legendarium, uh, deep dive is, uh, well, that's a relative term. No, our whole goal <laughs> with that, uh, that read-through was to help people have a good time with the Silmarillion. It's okay. a notoriously difficult book. Uh, you know, people stumble over the names and the places and the, the immense time gaps and all that stuff. Uh, it's not structured like a novel. So people tend to give up. And we're like, hey, you know what? We're not going to turn anybody into a Tolkien scholar. But what we will do is just, you know, we'll, we'll dig into a few different pieces from each section um, and hopefully have some fun with it. Tell some stupid, uh, you know, dirty jokes about Tolkien and <laughs> each other and uh, have a good time over 11 episodes and basically just kind of like help people have a group of friends to read along with uh, through the Silmarillion. So that was the whole goal of it. So, I, yeah, I get a little my my uh, my hackles rise every time I hear <laughs> deep dive because I'm like, uh, look, barking up the wrong tree here. No, please. I, I think that's a good point because that's that's sort of our goal here at the Lorehounds is there's a lot of podcasts already that go line by line on this stuff. Yeah. And we didn't yeah. want to just be another voice in that chorus. We wanted to get people who have seen like the Peter Jackson movies into this stuff in a way that's accessible. Right. So you guys, I think, are a great um, sort of counterpart on the bookend uh, to this. So uh, there you go. everyone, you. everyone listening. Please go check out the Legendarium Silmarillion read-along. It's really great. And like Craig said, it's like reading it along with a group of friends. So um, can I ask, what's your favorite part of the Silmarillion now that you've recently done a read-through? Yeah, my my favorite part, uh, I've bounced around over the years, but I think I'm settling on Akalabeth. Uh, which is perfect now with the show. Akalabeth being the uh, the rise and fall of Numenor. Yeah. Um, so after the events of the Quintus Silmarillion, you dive into Akalabeth. And it is, uh, of all of the sections of the book, it's it reads the most like a history book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, huge, major events will take up a couple of lines and, and then kind of right. it just 
keeps moving because it's only got a few pages to dig into it. Uh, but as fake history goes, uh, it doesn't get any better than Akala Beth. Um, and I, it's, it's one of those sections that I think is uh, endlessly applicable on a, to some extent on a personal scale, but, uh, but to a greater extent on a societal uh, and social level, you know, political and social level. Uh, and it's something that for, for listeners of our show, they'll be familiar with the three levels theory that I have where the first level, uh, it's, it's what is this story trying to accomplish? You have uh-huh. level one, which is all just the story. It's the pure, the plot, the story. Does the story work? Level two would be social and political commentary. Level three would be personal and interpersonal commentary, how to live your life as a better person, that sort of thing. And I think a lot of stories do really well on level one. And a lot of stories actually do really well on level three, but level two, that that socio-political stuff, is really difficult. Uh, it's it's so tough to get right. You can come off as preachy. You can come off as uh, well. Frankly, it's kind of a dick uh, if you do it wrong. <laughs> and most stories that try to take on level two do it wrong. Um, but that's uh, but Akala Beth is one of those ones where he wasn't necessarily trying to push much of a message other than be be good yeah <laughs> you know yeah. and so you can read all sorts of stuff into it and out of it you know it's it's uh, it's like the cave on dagobah you know it contains whatever you take with you <laughs> uh i love akala beth cool cool i mean How, how's that for your your extended three minute rant that you didn't ask for no i love it i mean what a <laughs> what a pitch for the akala beth i mean i've been telling people this season like if you want to read more about the lore behind this season, but you don't want to read the whole Silmarillion because it's a tome, then just read the Akalabeth and of the Rings mm-hmm. of Power in the Third Age, and, and yep. you'll be you'll be right at home for this season. Absolutely, yeah, couldn't agree more. That's super cool, though, and I I'm glad you brought up your three levels because I think that that's a cool way to look at it. Um, we've been sort of looking at the Shippy test, which we heard over on. Uh, the Prancing Pony guys, uh, I, I forgot their name, the Rings of Power wrap-up. They were talking about the, the Shippy test. Did you did you hear them talk about that? No, you'll have to refresh my memory. I've read a lot of Shippy, but if there's a Shippy test, if there's a uh. formalized Shippy test, i got to make sure I pass it. So, refresh my memory. It's, you know, you're going to have to ask David, my co-host, for, for the exact wording. But basically, it is a, a test about how faithful an adaptation is based on whether it got to the core of the work and mm-hmm. whether the adaptation, the change, was necessary for the new medium. And we've been talking about that all season of like, all right, this tree Silmaril thing, oh, does that fail the oh, shippy we get, test? We're getting, we're getting right into it. Oh, here oh we go. yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Give me your give me your hottest take on uh, the tree Silmaril. <laughs> I I refuse I refuse hot takes. Okay, no no hot takes from me. Well, we're all about uh, them on here. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I um I I did a live stream on Friday after the the episode aired, or no, I guess it was a, a week later after that episode aired, um, and I did a, a not rant rant. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I try to stay measured and, and try to. Okay, be charitable and be understanding. And the tree freaking sucks. <laughs> um, not a, not a fan. I I understand that there are licensing issues that they have to work around. And so, hey, you know, we can't we can't 
tell the true story of what happened to the what true true mm-hmm. okay <laughs> we can't tell the actual story of what happened to the silmarils so we got to make up something else uh but do but do you did you have to make right. up something else did you have to include this um it feels very unnecessary to the story um it's it, it, i to to be fair to be fair for all the letter kenny <laughs> fans out there to be fair um i i leave room for them to fix it you know hey this was a lie anatar was coming along lying to everybody about the importance of of uh, mithril he just needed it for his rings or whatever so i leave room for it but as it currently stands we've ha- we have six episodes out as it currently stands screw this storyline this is dumb <laughs> <laughs> and I should make that clear is that you and I have just seen the first six episodes so far. This is going to air after episode seven. But uh, right. right now we're in the past. So if, if this has been resolved by now, ignore this part. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, you can you can edit out the part where I sound like an idiot because uh, I didn't know what was going to happen in the future. Only idiots <laughs> don't know what's going to happen in the future. It's true. I mean, just look at um, ask Tar Palantir. <laughs> so with the with the tree thing let me let me just back up and say i understand that there are licensing issues however with that being the case uh, uh i can lay a lot of blame on the writers room for moving ahead with a storyline that is uh awful and horrible and stupid but how much blame do i lay on the feet of the tolkien estate for being so overly protective of the rights to the Silmarillion that we can't actually, we cannot, we're not allowed to put the the quote unquote true story on screen. Right. Um, that's that's an issue for me. The more I don't know a ton, you know, about the Tolkien estate and the family members involved. I've met one or two, but it's not like it's not like I have some inside scoop or whatever. Um, but but the more I learn about how they've handled the estate since uh, the professor's death, the more I'm like, Ugh, you guys, you're you're a little, a little overzealous, yeah, um, with this stuff. But hey, maybe that's just me. No, no, I I totally agree. I, I wish that we could get a more faithful adaptation of portions of the Silmarillion. Of course, I don't think anyone could ever adapt the whole thing as a series or a series of movies, even. But uh, the the content therein should definitely be accessible to these showrunners. Um, I, I will say I agree with you that they could still resolve this as a lie. And if they do that, if they make it so that this old song is actually just something that was whispered in the ear of Celebrimbor, I would be totally down for that and good. Um, I was thinking, actually, of your podcast of the... I believe that you said this in the last podcast about the Quintus Silmarillion. Okay. Where you were talking right, you're about gonna tax, you're going to tax my old man memory. Here we go. That's okay. Right. Well, I'll, I'll refresh your memory here. You were discussing the characters of the Silmarillion. Who is the main character of the Silmarillion? Mm. And I think you guys settled on it's not really a character, but more of an idea, like the Oath of Feanor or the Silmarils or something like that. And to yeah. me, the Quintus Silmarillion ends with a tone of finality about the whole Oath of Feanor and the Silmarils. And, uh, you know, that's put to bed. The, the Silmarils will not be found again until the Earth is remade. And right. uh, and that's pretty, pretty why that bothered that. me so much. Yeah, and it's... Uh, that that I haven't actually thought of that point, but that makes a lot of sense. And now that you've said it, thanks a lot. That bothers me, too. <laughs> now I have another thing. Um, for me, it's the, the idea of the, the light of the Eldar. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if if we go with the lore that they're actually using, okay, <laughs> what does the light of the Eldar mean? And again, remember, they're not writing this for it lore hounds, yeah. uh, if yeah. you will, such as us. They're writing this. They're trying to bring a general audience. Okay, so they're writing this for people, like you say, who have seen the Jackson movies. They're familiar with kind of the concepts. What do we know about the light of the Eldar? Well, there's the scene when Elrond says to uh, Arwen, uh, the light of the Eldar is leaving you. You know, she drops the book and it's all very dramatic. And, oh, you're mortal now. Um, you, you know, how dare you make these decisions? Whatever. <laughs> so, so that's the phrase, the light of the Eldar. It, uh, I didn't pick up on to that. Do with that's similar, their, that similarity. Yeah, it's, it's about their immortality, their, their elfiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, elvishness, whatever we want to call it. Um, and so in episode six, when they say, you know, the light of the Eldar will fade if we don't collect enough Mithril. What? Like, wh- what? <laughs> and so I've heard some people say, no, it's, it's just, that just means that they'll have to leave uh, Middle Earth and go over the sea there's already an open invitation. They can do that anytime yep. they want, you know? So like, that doesn't make much sense to me. The only thing that makes sense is we won't be el- we won't be immortal elves anymore mm. without collecting enough mithril, which is shockingly stupid and kind of insulting to the audience. Well, um, I would I I think that what I got from that scene with Gilgalad was uh, we are going to have to leave if we don't figure out this mithril thing, and if we leave, then the forces of darkness will sweep Middle Earth because they just can't handle it without us. And it's a little bit of Elvis hubris, and I think that, that that's pretty Noldor of him. Sure, sure, fair enough. But but again, like, uh, let's put ourselves in the writer's room and ask the question, how in the world does that make any sense? Uh, because the, the Noldor, or any other elf staying in... Sorry, I knocked my microphone around. Any, any other elf staying in Middle-earth, was that contingent on the Silmarils in some way? No! What about the Avari, you know? The, uh, uh, right, the exactly. Never even we, went. What about anybody else? Or who do we have now? Is it the, the, the not the Moriquendi? Moriandor. Like the, the Moriandor, yeah. Uh, I so, like that word. You know what? That's a change I like. I, 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 we, we can get to that in a moment um, from episode seven. But anyway, but it just, even on the, in, in the universe's own terms, it doesn't really make any sense at all. Um, and it also, in narrative terms, it's sprung out of nowhere. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we think, as an audience, we think, okay, so the goal is he needs to get the dwarves on board to build this tower so they can have a forge, so they can make the rings. And, and okay, this all makes sense. Great. And then in the space of, like, 90 seconds, we go from that to, oh, look at the rot on this tree. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, did nobody take notes from the MTV Shannara debacle? Like, can we not do this again? The rotting <laughs> tree um, and, uh, you know, it, it, the tree really represents our inner soul as elves. So I'm being a little more forceful than I might normally, but uh, I really didn't like it. I, I, uh, had, I had my issues. Okay, John? That's all right. You know what? That was, that was the issue that I harped on for a while, so I, I don't blame you. Um, yeah. You know, some changes I'm okay with, like, uh, so... Isildur, mm-hmm. I want them to have a character arc for him because obviously he doesn't have one in the books. He's kind of just 
you know, good guy and then does his nonsense with the rings. I won't spoil it since right. we're not spoiling future show events, but um, <laughs> the, we won't spoil the first thing you ever saw in the Fellowship. Yeah, of the ring. yeah, we'll just yeah, yeah, we'll leave that. Yeah, well, we know we we know that he goes no in the Peter Jackson film. So, um, other than that, you know, solid dude in the books, and and there's really no character development. Um, and yep. they did the same thing with Aragorn in the Peter Jackson movies. Is Aragorn wasn't ready to be king at the beginning of the Peter Jackson movies, whereas he in the, in the books he's like, "Yep, yeah, I'm here. Whenever you need me, uh, just sign me up. Put the yeah. crown on my head." Uh, and so that was well, a good it, change. But the way that again, to, to be fair, to be to be fair, Aragorn in the books, if you count the appendices, Aragorn very clearly has seventy some odd years yeah. of character development before we ever start the story. Right. Uh, so. But it, it, to your point, Isildur doesn't even have that. And right. I'm with you. I'm totally fine with them filling in some of the blanks, right? Mm-hmm. Like Isildur had a life for, you know, dozens uh, upon maybe hundreds of years yeah. before the events that we know of. Um, and, and so, so I'm, that's the sort of thing I'm totally fine with. Where the, where the canvas was not painted in, go ahead, paint away. You know, I can yeah. like or dislike your interpretation, but I have no problem with you having one. Right. Now, I don't like that he is kind of a shit, you know? I don't, I don't like that he's kind of um, a brat, you know, uh, sure. about a lot of things. I think that I would rather see some self-doubt kind of um, kind of development, but uh, you but know what? You- that's the sort of thing where, I, again, I think, I think that's totally fair, but it's the kind of thing where that is your headcanon, mm-hmm. and you would have told the story differently, Right, uh, but I, I feel like there's a difference between oh, you know, I might have done something different here versus oh, wow, you're doing real violence to the core right, right. storyline that we, you know, uh, of the Silmarillion. That's so that's where, like I say, I'm fine with it. And now we're back to the shippy test, right? Exactly. Are we doing a necessary change for the medium? I think so with the sealed door. I think yeah. you need to add that character arc uh, because right. we're with him for five seasons, and I can't have him being a stone faced like, well. I'm now going to do the next honorable thing on my list. (laughs) (laughs) So, moving away from Numenorians, what's your temperature on Harfoots? Uh, uh, Lukewarm. Okay. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. I I feel like uh, I'm I'm the pond at Bywater, maybe something like that. Um, No, I'm fine with it. I... I get why they wanted to include it. And I know I'm doing a lot of prevaricating here. I, okay. I get why they wanted them. You know, hey, the, it's it's Tolkien. That equals hobbits. And people are going to riot uh-huh. in the streets if there are no hobbits. They wouldn't have. But whatever. You felt like you needed Adam. Okay, fine. Um, and there are things that I like about them. Mm-hmm. Um, there, was a, <laughs> there was a hilarious article that I read in, like, the Irish Times or something about how offensive their accents were. <laughs> oh, man. And not being Irish myself, I'm like, it goes over my head, but... Uh, yeah, but I didn't even think sound, about that. It's pretty, it's pretty... They're like this. these, like, weirdly archaic stage Irish accents. Uh, but as as an American who doesn't know any better, I'm like, eh, it's fine by me. I don't care. Um, no, I, and there are things I like about their storylines. Uh, the music for the Harfoots... Uh, tends to be a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I think that uh, oh, what's his name, Barry McCreary, um, has done something at once really predictable and also simultaneously really delightful. Mm-hmm. In that, for the Harfoots, I doubt that you would find any non-organic 
instrument in the music for the Harfoots. So everything sounds like it's made out of wood or bone or something like that. Like you're not going to find any brass or reed instruments or something like that. Like it's all, uh, it's all really organic, um, if that makes any sense. So, yeah. so I, I get a kick out of the music. And uh, from a performance perspective, I think the, uh, the gal that they got to play, what do they call her? Nori. Nori. Yeah. Nori is one of the stronger performers in the show. I think yeah, she's really yeah. great. Um but that but the the storyline itself I'm like eh, meh. I'm totally happy to have left them behind for an episode or two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was at the place where I categorically did not want hobbits in the show because I just I was like my my vibe was Sauron was surprised by the hobbits in the third age and he was surprised by their ability to be strong in this. Yeah. And if they are prominent in the second age struggles, that's going to cut against that canon. Especially if the stranger ends up being Sauron. I mean, we don't know yet. And I think that's doubtful now. I think it's doubtful I, I after agree. episode six. I think six. it's doubtful. But, you know, but if he were, then that that would be another, like, oh, really? He didn't know who hobbits were? Yeah. It, it makes more sense... Unfortunately, it's it's all wrong timeline wise, but it makes more sense for it to be Gandalf because mm-hmm. Gandalf always had a special connection with the hobbits and all that stuff. So, you know, we chatted earlier in an episode where apparently there is something in last writings in history of Middle Earth, which is, you know, a deep, deep cut here yeah, where yeah. Tolkien was like, yeah, maybe he came in the second age as a Lauren and just hung out with a bunch <laughs> of people in Middle Earth. He just has a throwaway line. And so right. you can like kind of justify having Gandalf in there if, uh, if they right. don't use his name. They're going to use his name if he's there, but uh, of, of course they are. But uh, but yeah, I mean, but I'll say this. If this storyline is completely unconnected or only loosely connected with the Sauron storyline, fine. The What they're doing with the Harfoots is delightful. They are a lovely bunch to watch. I like the mm-hmm. song at the beginning of the last episode that touched on the the poetry with uh, all that is gold does not glitter. Hated uh, it. Yeah. Hated it. Wanted oh, it. you hated it? I loved it. Yeah, I hated it. Oh, boy. No, that, that, it felt like... Do you remember in Rogue One, uh, you know, an otherwise uh, really pretty good Star Wars movie, a lot of people loved it. Um, I, I had issues with it. But yeah, it's a good movie. Good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it comes to a screeching halt for you know a minute and a half or something while they bring in r2d2 and c3po for a member berries scene Mm -hmm. um like oh oh my gosh i know those guys holy (laughs) smokes they're in this movie this is amazing uh and then the story just goes on right it's like oh yeah okay we put our, our our like our call back to the originals that's how i feel about that sort of thing where the lyrics to the song made me want to rip my TV off my wall and really? throw it through the window. No, I thought I, it was like subtle enough where I said, oh, no, oh, that's nice. That's nice. And then it moved on. This could be the curse of knowing the material too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, that's that would be fair, fine. Uh, but, it w- but it felt like that sort of thing. Oh, my gosh, it's R2-D2. I recognize that lyric. Um, you know, it's and funny, I, though. It felt too much for me. It's funny, though, because that line, not all those who wander are lost, it is so popular now that so I went yeah. to my mom's. I visited my mom's house like a year ago uh, and saw this in her in her house. She had an embroidered item that just said, "Not all those who wander are lost." And she goes to me, "Isn't that beautiful?" And I said, "Yes, it was when Tolkien wrote that." Uh, and <laughs> she was like, like who? "That's not from 
what that's from what and i said yeah the lord of the rings 1954 yeah (laughs) it was just so funny it's like it's become a pop culture thing and not just a tolkien thing so i don't know maybe they're playing with that wouldn't it be interesting you know there you you have uh you cast your mind back hundreds of years to different musicians or sculptors or painters or whatever and they devoted their entire lives to their art and their craft and one piece survives yeah um you know one idea survives from some you know some essays you know, john dunn says no man is an island and it's like yeah you had a whole other life but that's all we care about you said no man is an island and uh, wrote a poem about it thanks john dunn <laughs> wouldn't it be interesting if that was what survived you know cast your Could mind be. 400 years into the future and nobody quite remembers the story but there was a guy who wrote that not all who wander are lost and uh the, that gives us permission structure for all of our non-amish rumspringa stuff like <laughs> let's go wander everybody oh uh, my gosh you know, it's not a bad line to be remembered for. So, oh no, it's great. So, uh, yeah, no, I just think it's funny. I think that that's why they are uh, trying to tug on the heartstrings of casual viewers too, because you know we got back Nielsen numbers this last week, and we saw right. that uh, Lord of the Rings actually beat out House of the Dragon. Now, there's a lot of caveats on that because it was for the <laughs> week where they released two episodes, and it was by minute. Right. So, you know, caveat, caveat, caveat. But there's a ton of watchers on this show. Even even yep. with all the complaints that we have and the general community has, this is a huge show. And I have to think that this is a lot of people who have Amazon Prime to order things and get them shipped to their houses and who yep. are just like, oh, yeah, I, I saw The Lord of the Rings back in the day. I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's... Uh Amazon Prime is a bizarre animal, and it's difficult to measure. Uh, this is, by the way, my my day job is uh, reviewing and gauging streaming services and devices. So, so I kind of keep my finger on the pulse of these things quite a bit. And uh, and yeah, Amazon Prime is always weird to measure because of that it's like they say oh we have 115 million subscribers yeah. and you're like right yeah okay but how Bezos. many viewers do you have uh but this is an instance where we get to actually see like oh oh you have a lot of viewers and to put it in in, in not not in perspective but just to give it a little bit of context any show and i mean any show would beg plead murder for 50 percent of house of the dragons viewership mm-hmm. right uh you know anything game of thrones related they're like hey if we can get half of that like we're successful right now obviously the rules of the game are a little bit different for um rings of power with the amount of money they've spent on it mm-hmm. but at the same time you know it's you see headlines like about the war between rings of power and house of the dragon <laughs> don't buy any of that bull crap they feed off each other's success. They help each other out. And uh, and so far, yeah, like you say, Rings of Power has been monumentally successful. So go them. Yeah, and you know what? I'm liking both shows, and I think that most people I talk to are in the camp of they are two very different types of material, and I'm okay separating them in my mind. Yeah. Um, whereas I think that Amazon is really nervous to uh, to have Wheel of Time conflict with uh, with the Lord of the Rings show because Wheel of Time, yep. well, has a very unique identity, does have the same Tolkien roots that I think that George R. R. Martin has more shed than Wheel of Time as far as A Song of Ice and Fire. He was, as I understand it, and you would be, you know, maybe more of a, a Martin 
uh, scholar than I am. Yeah, <laughs> but <not really. laughs> as I understand it, Martin was very much writing uh, in, if not if not in opposition to, then at least it, like he's on the other side of the conversation mm-hmm. with Tolkien, where his whole thing about, um, you know, hey, I, I love the Lord of the Rings, but how come nobody ever takes a piss in the woods uh, yeah. in the Lord of the Rings, right? Like he wants to get down and dirty and, uh, you know, like the day-to-day grit of yeah. these characters' lives. Tolkien was not interested in that. Um, and it's, it's funny because, like you say, the Wheel of Time is, uh, it's, maybe more toward Tolkien, at least at first, yes. right? He's very intentionally uh, mimicking Tolkien for the first book. And then he starts to move away from him over the course of a couple of books. And then by the time you get into book four, five, six, he's quite Martin-esque at that point. Yeah. Or maybe Martin well, was less violent at that but... <laughs> point. Yeah, but you know what I mean? As yeah, far yeah. as just, you know, he's like, he's getting nitty gritty with, hey, I want to like really get into the characters lives and not just the events around them and all that so uh so yeah it's an interesting comparison and uh, it would be to your point it would be less of an issue like competing with the rings of power on amazon prime you know like if if wheel of time and and rings of power were airing at the same time it would be less of an issue probably in wheel of time season four right but right now yeah it, it would have the same basic feel yeah 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 um i mean i'm enjoying both shows the the house of the dragon and and rings of power right now uh i i've been going back and forth on rings of power because i'll I'll say this i really like the show like i'm having a good time as far as the quality of television i've never seen a more beautiful television show in production value the music is incredible i got a little bit sick of the galadriel theme by episode two because there was so much galadriel that i i bear mcreary had just stuffed me to death with the Galadriel theme. But other than that, I think that the music has been really good. I actually think the theme music by Howard Shore is the weakest part of the soundtrack, which is kind of funny. I, yeah, not not my favorite. Uh, a lot of people are gushing over it, and it's not like it's bad. It's not bad music, but it lacks any hook yeah. um, that he, that his Lord of the Rings music is known for, right? Mm-hmm. Every Every place, every character or whatever it had their uh, light motif and it was very hook hooky grabby whatever you want to call it um and the and that theme song just isn't um but that's not to say that it's like unpleasant to listen to no. you just don't hum it afterwards right um i if i had one complaint about the music in the rings of power it's that frankly there's too much of it um uh, and they need to use it a little more sparingly uh, now, I'm not comparing this to House of the Dragon, but I will compare it to the first few episodes of Game of Thrones. If you go back and watch that, uh, the music, the in-scene music is pretty sparse. Uh, and the and so they were forced or allowed, maybe is the better word, to kind of live or die on the performances and the writing and, this, and the set design mm-hmm. and whatnot. Like, music... It, it, it's uh, this word is going to have a, a bit of a stink on it, but when we say that the music, the score, is emotionally manipulative, that can be a really, really good thing. Uh-huh. But it can also become a crutch, uh, where it's like, oh, we'll just we'll have the music swell, and that will make this shot of the boats sailing off into the <laughs> distance have more impact. And it's like, or you could actually take a little time to do some some 
character work and have some conversations so that I, as a viewer, understand why the boats sailing off into the distance have emotional resonance, right? Right. So I, I do feel in some places like they're using the music as a shortcut. Um, and so that's, the, again, that being said, what they have is great. <laughs> like yeah. the music is really nice to listen to, but I wish they wouldn't rely so much on it. No, I totally agree. I mean, the character work is definitely the weak point of the show is that they just haven't given us enough uh, what was it that Tyrion Lannister said? Like interesting conversations in beautiful rooms or something like that. Like uh, <laughs> it's uh, you just need some one on ones. You need some more one on ones and and monologues. And I need to know what these characters are thinking because I've heard a lot of the same things from them, uh, mm-hmm. and I feel like we're not scraping past. And Aaron, who's uh, from Bald Move and was our our guest host for for last week, was saying. You know, I feel like they just have too many mysteries. They're making things unnecessarily mysterious in some points. And I yeah. think that that's right. I think that that's right. I think that The Stranger and Adar are mysteries enough and where's Sauron? Uh, without but, without adding in, what's his name? The uh, Is it Aron? No, Aron here is the elf. What's the guy who's following Galadriel around? Or no, Halbrand, around? yeah. Halbrand, yeah, the Halbrand mystery. It's like... All right, I've got enough to juggle. I just don't care. <laughs> just tell yeah. me what's going on. Unless he is Sauron, because then, cool. But uh, if he's not Sauron, then I need to just know what his backstory is already and move on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, speaking of that crew, Adar, the Moriandor, or I guess he's Moriando, that would be the singular. Oh, you mean Uncle Benjen. Uncle Benjen, yeah, yeah. He's yes, back from, was, from beyond the wall. So, <laughs> I was so excited when they when they brought him out of the shadow. I'm like, Uncle Benjen! You know, I, was, <laughs> I just, he's, it, so this, let me just, let me just take 30 seconds away from you real sure. quick and say, I have this whole riff on, you know, when we watch stuff on screen, the the people are they tend to be beautiful right not across the board but it is more often than not you have beautiful people on screen because we like watching pretty people do things on our Mm -hmm. screens right that's fine uh i got no problem with that but i'm much more interested in when someone is really interesting looking Mm -hmm. um and that guy i don't have his name up in front of me at the moment but uh but uncle benjamin he has such an interesting face that I want him to be in everything I watch. Like he just is so cool to look at that I just want to keep looking at him. So I, I was thrilled when he showed up. Cool. No, that's 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 fun. Um, what do you think of his character? Do you do you like that they're going with the Silmarillion Tolkien orc story origin story? Because I, I don't know. I I've, I don't think I've heard you guys discuss it. Maybe you have. Uh, the whole controversy of Tolkien was like walking away from that towards the end yeah, of his life. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, what, what did you think of them going full speed ahead on that? You know, I don't mind it. It's uh, with Tolkien's issues around, uh, around the, what, what did they call him on the show? The Mora what now? Moriandor, the, uh, which, which does seem to have some basis in the text where I think a right. proto name of, Melkor oh no! Was it's, yeah, Moriandor. no, I, yeah. I have no no issues with the translation there. The Moriandor, um, I I'm okay with it. Tolkien's issues are largely um, uh, around <laughs> what what's the word What's the word I'm looking for? There are religious problems 
that you run into with the story as presented in the Silmarillion. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as it, his desire to not allow Morgoth to create anything. Well, okay, but he only changed he 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 warped and changed and tortured elves into this existence well but what does that mean are they now a new race or are they still the children of of iluvatar and uh we call him eru arugula on this podcast uh from a (laughs) a long line of running jokes (laughs) arugula nice i like it um are are they immortal Uh, how you know how often do they procreate they seem to you know they seem to be quite uh, fecund, shall we say, the orcs, whereas the elves, they procreate quite slowly. Um, so he had real religious and logistical issues with, uh, you know, how do I deal with these orcs? That was the best that he came up with. And so Christopher was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with this one. Yeah. Um, and because of that, because of that decision, I'm fine with the show going with that. Um it's i think it's really it opens up some interesting doors what does this mean that he's one of the originals so he kind of still looks like an elf but he's obviously pretty messed up yeah um and and so like the orcs that we're seeing now are the descendants of him and his uh his og orc buddies sorry uruks yeah Um, (laughs) we don't slur orcs here we we prefer uruk um it also it's so it opens up a lot of interesting doors, but it also created a situation where they they kind of made Galadriel this weirdly like genocidal racist <laughs> genocidal genocidal Nazi maniac. Like I'm gonna wipe out every last one of you. Where you know, and you have him saying, "Look, we just want a home. We want a land to call our own. We uh, we just we want." to be left in peace or whatever. And so they're setting up this situation where it's like, oh, don't you feel sorry for these orcs? Aren't you know, isn't this such mm-hmm. a tough situation for them and and it's kind of painting Galadriel as the bad guy in that situation where in if this were a George Martin story, I'd be like, great, bring on the moral ambiguity. This is awesome. But one of the things about Tolkien's orcs and uh, you know, and the way that he used them in his stories is now they're pretty much unambiguously evil. Yeah, um, I mean, I think he would have said they're redeemable, but they're just not going to go for it. Right. Under Eru, all things are possible, right? Yeah. Uh, no, but but as they as they function in the story, they are they're, they're cannon fodder for the good guys. They're the foil to the good guys. You have good versus evil. And don't get me started. There's tons of gray area in mm-hmm. Tolkien morally. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to paint with too broad a brush here, but there is something refreshing about it being a struggle of good versus evil mm-hmm. with, you know, with some morally gray stuff happening in between, whatever. But if they're going to try to Martinize the story in that way, it's it might just not fit in Middle gotcha. Earth. Um, okay. Where, you know, like I, I like it when Martin does it and, and I like the way Tolkien did it. Let's not try to mix this oil with this water. Yeah, I mean, let's see where they go with it, too, because they could do this really well. They could have the execution down with it, and things are in place to maybe do something good with it. So I'm going to reserve judgment on it so far, but I I can see where your issues are with are we are we doing the wrong thing, the right thing in the wrong universe? Right, exactly. Hey, that's a great way to put it. Wow, look at you. Are you kidding me? You, it's time for you to get your own, uh, stitch your own 
sayings onto pillows or whatever That's your true. mom has hanging up. Not in all those who do things in the right universe are wrong. I mean, something like that. Uh, it was pithier before. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you have this orc origin story, and I, I was positing a bunch of different theories before that of who Adar could be, and, and I don't know which, which is more interesting. I wanted them to be... There's a, a, a passage in the Silmarillion where they describe... Or, uh, elves who were taken out of the kingdoms of Beleriand to be mm. Morgoth's uh, thralls, basically. And then some of right. them escaped, but then were rejected by their people because they were like, well, we, don't, we can't differentiate you from the thralls, so you just got to go hang out somewhere else. And so my hope was that it was going to be this complex thing of, well, I was captured by Morgoth, I escaped, but then I had no home in Beleriand. And I just sort of started hanging out with the works. I thought that would have been cool, but uh, yeah, I like that. But I guess I'm not in the writers' room now, so so don't don't well, call and, me up. You know, like you said, we're we're recording this from the past. You know, yeah. there are things that have been revealed as people are listening to this that we have not yet seen uh, because my schedule sucks, and I'm sorry, everybody. Okay, uh, we we were going to record this later in the week, but um, I I had great american beer festivals to attend so hey um, priorities man you gotta exactly. get some beer <laughs> so anyway uh what, what was i saying oh no i think you've you've got a good point like that would be cool all i can do is respond to the show so far through episode six as it has been presented to me right um and so i can theory craft and say oh it, you know it sure would be nice if they do this and oh it'll work this will work if they do that um and I should also say that for the most part, through six episodes, like you, I'm having a great time with it. I, yeah. I, on the whole, I'm enjoying the show. I'm having a good time. But there are those things where I'm like, oof, if you stick with this line, I'm out. It's the tree thing. That's the, it's the tree thing is the, is the hard one. That was the breaking point. That was, I was I, literally up to that point. I was, uh, I saw all of the lore issues and timeline issues. I saw them all Yeah, and was ready to, to let, let it go and right. just say, Hey, this is, it's not my head cannon. Totally fine. And then the tree happened and I'm luckily, so I, I watch it out here in my studio, which is a separate, it's an outbuilding in my backyard um, and so my wife and my kids can't hear me screaming at the TV because uh, I was pissed. Oh boy! Oh boy! I wouldn't want to be in that room. But uh, <laughs> but uh, no, no, I hear you. So I hope that they do do the deception uh, resolution yeah. of that because that would be that would honestly be pretty satisfying. Is that it? Would. Uh, you know, Sauron's whispering in Celebrimbor's ear, who talks to Gilgalad, and Gilgalad's, "Well, I trust my friend Celebrimbor over here." So uh, but, you know, that would be a really satisfying end. That would be great if Sauron was so deceitful that he tricked the audience and they were able to pull that off. Like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Um, because you said his name, we have to also just acknowledge maybe the worst casting so far in the entire show. Celebrimbor? Celebrimbor. Oh, boy. Explain. What's, a, what's your beef with it? No, no issue with the actor. Okay, I'm sure he's listening, and I'm, I'm sure he's his hackles are already up. You know, We're the Lorehounds worldwide. <laughs> so no issues with performance um, or even the writing of the character or what the character has done so far. But for some reason, something about the way he looks, his his bearing, his manner, his demeanor, um, is so like 
1980s action movie <laughs> smarmy police captain or oh something so, something along those lines where it's like this Tough was the critic, wrong Craig. thing. <laughs> I'm just saying I again it's not about his performance it's just you should have picked somebody else um he his uh his self-assurance as the greatest smith of the second age um is it, it feels very false mm-hmm. um with this actor uh, so I, I i just wish they would have found somebody else all right you know who knows maybe he'll redeem himself but i just had to get that out there so that i can't back out later and say that i loved him all along i didn't love him all along I fair enough issues. fair so. enough i don't like the haircut but i'm okay with the actors so far um, I, I agree with you. He doesn't have Feanor energy, but I think I think at least the writings reflect that he was a kinder guy anyway than Feanor. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's not actually, hard. It's it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be Celebrimbor from uh, uh, oh, what's the Shadow game? of Mordor? Shadow of Mordor, which is yeah, a lovely be. game to play. It's such a blast. So good. It's so good. Please don't ever ever play the game for any lore yes. collection. Uh, but it's yeah, it's a fun game. <laughs> Correct. Um, so, Craig, anything else you want to chat about with this show before we let you go? You know, I, I feel like I've had a lot of just crap to talk about the show. Um, so I do want, I, I feel like we should maybe get into some of the stuff that we really like sure. about it. Um, the Numenor storyline, I am digging so far. Again, you know, kind of like I was saying just a minute a minute ago, I I see all of the time compression. Yeah. I see the little, the changes that they've made to this or that character to, you know, put them in the right place or whatever. Uh, like, I, yes, I get it. It's not exactly as presented in my favorite in Akala Beth. Um, but it is some of the strongest stuff in the show so far. The, um, the design, the casting, the performances, I think it's all been really good. So I'm, I'm really, really digging Numenor. And nice. I, I can't express how excited I am to watch it get tossed into the Sundering Seas. Uh, it's going it's to be good. Are you a fan of horse lore? Because they're, they're going into Numenorean horse lore now. Uh, uh-huh. there's, a, there's a passage in Undying, uh, sorry, Undying, Unfinished Tales uh, right. that I remember where they say, yeah, some Numenoreans like, spoke to their horses or something. Right, uh, right, right. And, uh, and when Isildur was chatting with his dad about how his mom was super into bonding with horses, I was like, huh, that's, that's a nice little throwback. Yeah, it's a good touch. It's a good touch. I wonder. I wonder if that was one of those little things they had to get special permission from the estate for. Yeah. You know, it's vague but enough. Maybe where not it was because, like exactly. It's and it's one of those things where again, people who have seen the movies a bunch of times, they know Aragorn talks to Brego, and like mm-hmm. there's the whole the, the whole thing with him and his horse, Bill the um, Pony, <laughs> and, and Bill the Pony. Lest lest we forget, never forget Bill the Pony. Um, but also. The real hero of those scenes uh, in Rings of Power and in the Lord of the Rings, I guess that would have been the two towers, uh, are the horse trainers. Oh, yeah. Um, in Aragorn's case, you know, they had the whole thing where the horse had to lay down next to him so that he could grab the saddle and the horse would stand back up and pick him up. Like, that was super complex and difficult mm-hmm. and dangerous. And, and he uh, adopted you know, was, that horse, I think. Exactly. And it's whatever his name is. Mortensen, yeah. Mortensen. Oh man, I can never remember it. So I'm I'm so old that that's yeah, that it's like um it's like Beatles lore versus ELO lore. Like (laughs) I've got the Beatles covered. Um 
so anyway, so yeah, that scene was was really badass uh, from a horse trainer's perspective. Um, and similarly, and I get that this it's not the same thing. You know, it's not the same as putting a 1,200-pound horse or whatever they are next to a man on the ground. Like, that's dangerous. But the scene when Isildur feeds an apple to the horse and it just takes a little nibble out of it, and then he takes the apple back, takes another bite out of it, and throws it out to sea. Everybody's like, just, you know lighting up Isildur for littering or whatever <laughs> as though the, as though as though the fish won't eat the apple you're right but they're lighting up the the apple throwing scene what how wasteful or whatever uh and I'm like can we all talk about the the horse training going on here to get him to just take a nibble of an apple because <laughs> the horse wants that freaking apple man yeah. he wants it so bad uh so yeah I, I got a kick out of that scene that's a good point Loving the horse training, so uh, let's let's give it up for the horse trainers of Rings of Power. Some of that billion went to you guys. Oh, absolutely. I, I hope I hope more than just a tiny chunk. Here, I, as we as we continue talking, I'm just gonna light up my candle here. It's it's called the Inklings, um, and I think I need to finish out the conversation with a little cedar, oak, and pipe tobacco scent Ooh. called the Inklings. That okay. sounds pretty Tolkien esque. It, it sure as heck is. I don't know how big a fan he was of cider. If it were beer and oak and pipe tobacco, maybe we'd be talking. Ah, uh, you're right. But, don't just don't put French food in front of him. That's that's the <laughs> one that will really get him going. He's he's not happy if you give him French food. Yeah, heaven forbid we have flavor. <laughs> yeah, no, only English food for Mister Tolkien. Um, <laughs> so as far as as far as what you'd like to see going forward. What's your ideal end of the season? Because go oh gosh! Because before this episode, I before episode six, I was like, man, I could see this episode, this season ending with Mount Doom erupting, and that would be awesome. And then they just right. went and did it in episode six, which was excellent. I, yeah. I hated I hated how they got there, but I liked the eruption. That was pretty cool. Well, um, the the whole we're not going to open the dagger thing until Theo decides to. Galadriel's not like, hey, I need to see this mystical orc thing that you are very concerned about because that's very important. Uh, but it's fine. It's fine. We'll just disregard that. I my my thing my uh, sorry. Okay, now we're, you're dragging me back into what's wrong with this show and the whole like, oh, it's just it's a key and the the lock is in this location. Who put the lock there and why and when and mm-hmm. this like. And so was the fortress built by Sauron before his, you know, initial defeat at the end of the first age? Was it built by the elves around this thing to protect against such an eventual? Like, it's just this thing that as far as we as viewers are concerned, it's just there. It's, uh, oh, oh, the lock was right here the whole time. Oh, great. We'll just put it in there and, uh, you know, and erupt and destroy the whole of the land of Mordor. So, yeah, I, I had real issues with that. Where were we? What were we talking about? Who am I? What is truth? Time is a flat circle. Um, how do you want the season to end? What, what's oh, your idea? Yeah, how to, um, I think if I were in the writer's room three years ago and writing this season, and we are where we are at the end of episode six, I would say that um, episode seven will, should uh, revolve around getting the forge up and running. The elves and the dwarves working to get working together to build the tower uh, that will contain the forge uh, to create the rings. And the first season will end then in episode eight with Celebrimbor completing a prototype, completing the first ring. 
Okay. Because as we know, the, the three Elven Rings and uh, obviously Sauron's One Ring, those came later. Um, yeah. And they were creating, they, they were crafting the Great Rings uh before all of yeah. that so essays I think in ring making is as tolkien said i think right <laughs> they're like go. essays yeah. in ring making all these lesser yes. rings and so but but making it clear that like you know like that's the final shot or you know or one of the final shots of the first season is Celebrimbor holding up a completed ring that ha- you know has whatever power you know that that he's able to pour into it We've got to meet Anatar for that to happen, presumably. Um, but that's that's something like that. How does that sound? I, I could see that. I, I like uh, getting into some ring making. I would be satisfied if we at least know what Sauron's hanging out as by the end of the season. You know, if if he walks into a room and they're like, "Oh, hey, Sauron," or "Hey, Anatar," <laughs> that would be that would be my ideal. Is at least they've revealed Sauron by the end of the season because. If they don't do that, then they are really stretching this story out. And uh, I was right. I was like, no, I think you can get five seasons out of this material. But after seeing some of these, I'm a little like, we haven't moved along in the story a lot so far. And that could be a victim of maybe we're doing too much in this season. Maybe we didn't need the Harfoot plotline or something like that. But uh, you take I, I that think, back. Well, I lo- look. I love the Harfoots, <laughs> but I do think that it's dragging down some storylines as far as prog- progress. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I-, I need Sarah by the end of the season. I would be. I would be happier. Like if the if the Harfoots went away, um, I would be happier if the story didn't move any faster and they just took the time for the from those scenes and gave it to conversations Mm, um that's a good point galadriel galadriel talking to halbrand in the dungeon for instance like that you know it was a two or three minute conversation that could have been a five or ten minute conversation right um you know again let's go back to game of thrones and and think about uh tywin lannister uh gutting the the deer on the table as yeah. he's talking about family, you know, and it's a scene that goes on and on, but you never want it to stop. You know, I want more scenes like that. Um, you know, anyway. I think this Galadriel just needs like a full age of therapy. That's what she needs. <laughs> and then she'll be ready for love, Lorian. But, uh, but there's a lot of trauma there. We got to unpack it. Uh, a lot of familial guilt and, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's time. So, uh, I, do you have any final thoughts before we we let you go? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm into it. I I obviously had my issues with the tree, and I have other little niggling issues, but I'm into it. Let's hope they don't screw it up. They got to get Sauron in by the end of the season. But as things stand now, at the end of episode six, I am still interested to see what they'll do going forward in season two and beyond. All right, very cool. Craig, where can we find you on the internet? And we'll link you in the description below. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, you can find us at thelegendarium.com. So think Latin on that one, thelegendarium.com. Uh, and you can find kind of all the stuff that we've covered by author. You know, so yes, we've done a lot of Tolkien stuff. We've also done, oh gosh, now I got to look at my, my uh, <laughs> we've done Robert Jordan. We've done Brandon Sanderson and uh, Brent Weeks and N.K. Jemison and Jim Butcher, all, all sorts of stuff. So you can find it there. Uh, But we also have a large and active and very fun Discord server. Uh, You can find the link there. It's uh, it's open to everybody, so go check it out. 
And uh, yeah, I, I hope people enjoy the show. It's a flavor that I don't expect everybody to love, but if you just want to sit around and uh, have some friends chatting about books with you in your ears, that's what we're here for. Very cool. And if I could actually plug one more thing that you've covered, uh, you guys have done an Expanse series. I think it's ongoing, right? Mm. Uh, yes. The, the Bald Move community is super into the Expanse. So if you're going yes. through those books post-show when you're in your post-show depression, uh, go over <laughs> to Craig and the Legendarium and hang out with them and enjoy the books with them. And, and if you really hated me on this episode, then rejoice, because I'm not actually on those episodes. We have two teams over at the Legendarium, and the other team has done The Expanse. I think uh, I'm editing for, I think it's next week, I'm editing um, one of their Book 6 episodes. And so that'll go up pretty soon. All right, very cool. Thanks, Craig, for being here. Go check out Craig's podcast, The Legendarium. And when we come back, we're going to have some listener feedback with Aaron. And we're back. Aaron, you in for some listener feedback? Oh, boy, am I. All right. (laughs) First up, we have Matthew, who sent me in what I can only describe as an essay, um, which is trimmed here, by the way, Aaron. It was several paragraphs longer, so... You you don't got to explain the wrangling of of feedback to me, sir. Yeah, I I, I get it. I get it. It's like uh, an honor... And uh, an obligation when you get a, a serious, a weighty tome, a weighty tome, because that's some serious time and effort a person's invested yeah. into your shit. Uh, but also, yeah. there's only so many minutes that you can encode. Did you know that? There's a, there's a precise amount of minutes you can encode an MP3 in a podcast format before the file just, just it, it explodes. Really? And it's Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's different for every podcast. Ah. Uh, and it's, it's important to your podcast career to never exceed that, you know, so you got mm. to play it smart. Words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hard, hard fought. All right. Matthew, I promise, I promise I read your whole email, but since I'm responsible for the length, I'll read it. In case anyone wants to know where I stand on the show, I've enjoyed all the episodes so far, and episode 6 was the best one yet. Not sure if that makes me more or less credible. My favorite part of the show so far is the Wandering Day song, but the second favorite scene is the one with Bronwyn and Arendir where they end up kissing. Between that and the action battle scenes, the awesome but terrible volcanic eruption, Galadriel's interrogation of Adar, and the subsequent conversation with Halbrand as well, and the two plot lines joining together in exciting fashion as Galadriel, Halbrand, and the Numenorians meet Bronwyn and Arondir. This has to be the best one. Let me just pause here. Aaron, this is very refreshing positivity. Are we just grumps? Um, uh, I don't know. I feel like it, it, when I was looking at the broader scope of thought on episode six, I think a lot of people were praising the fact that this show is swinging big for defenses. And I gotta mm-hmm. say that like it is it was a very solid episode, and most of the reason I was kind of like prematurely negative is just I just was braced for the impact of what I knew was going to happen, you know, at the very beginning of this episode. And I said I said like the worst case scenarios are going to all be stumbling around like a bunch of nine eleven responders and a light misting of dust, and you know you either understand why I said that's a worst case scenario or you don't, you know. 
But it's not like yeah. I was like adjusting my like I said. Here's the different ways this could go, and here's the worst thing that they could do. And it was closer to yeah. that than it was to any of the best case scenarios. So mm-hmm. I don't think. But but to get to like this is episode six. I think a lot of people liked episode six. You know, that's true. Um, and it was very cohesive. It stayed in this with a central thing. It had pretty exciting. Uh, uh, the battle scenes and honestly if they just didn't do the big cloud where it's like oh we're gonna kill everybody ha 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 um and in like party wipe you know if, if they hadn't done that uh boy i don't know we might be thinking some different thing but I, I don't know it's hard to say it's hard to say but episode six i think a lot of people liked and even i, I, I okay. jim really liked it too I thought it was a good episode. I, I did. Um, you know, of course, I always have my lore beefs, but that's probably going to be a thing for the whole season. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I will say, watching House of the Dragon, I have not been lorey on it, and it's been just a lovely experience <laughs> of just not comparing it to anything ever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I actually didn't have as many volcano beefs as you did. I, uh, I understand that it's unrealistic, but I was like, eh, I have enough other things to worry about. I'm just going to let the volcano thing go. Gotcha. All right. So Matthew continues, I think episode six made me a, made it a bit less likely that Halbrand is Sauron, and almost completely dispelled Adar's chance. No way Galadriel made a mistaken guess as to his history, right? She correctly intuited it. The show intends it to be the truth. And it made it slightly more likely that the stranger is Sauron. I couldn't figure out why Sauron would possibly come from space when he's supposed to be in bodily form on Middle-earth already. But if Adar killed his physical form, perhaps his spirit went somewhere extraterrestrial. For reasons the show might later explain. And he came back on the meteor missing most of his memory. Still, don't think it's likely, though. Everything that people point to as evidence can be explained just as well or better if Halbrand is what he appears to be. A reluctant heir to the throne who can fight ferociously when he commits to it, but would rather be left alone because of shame and trauma, because of what was done to him or his loved ones, or because of what he did to survive. That explains his emotions, why he was going to kill Adar, and his question, Adar might not remember him because it was a while ago and he looked different, or he seemed insignificant and was overlooked. If he was at the time just a distant heir, imagine Halbrand being the previous king's nephew, and the orcs killed the king, his sons, and Halbrand's father, for example. And it explains his conversation with Galadriel as well. I think the show intends the portrayal of both Adar and Halbrand this episode to be real. It's just not as obvious yet with Halbrand. Also, that sort of reluctant leader might just be the type to break an oath to avoid getting into something he doesn't want to do. You know who that would make him. (laughs) It also seems that he and his remaining subjects need to migrate out of the area and find a new home. So we'll see where they end up and if that confirms anything about him. So, Aaron, where are you at on the Is Halbrand Sauron train? I think if the showrunners didn't want us to suspect him and didn't want us to waste time uh, you know, speculating on who Sauron could be, they wouldn't have made it a big mystery. And... Uh, I think that... Yeah, I, I like the theory that he is the king of the dead... But I also like when the outcome of this is going to be him taking back to Numenor and, you know, be this liaison between Numenor and the elves, like it seems like he's going to be, that puts him right in the spot where Sauron should be at this point very quickly. Hmm. 
and I don't, and I'm looking at it, the the landscape, and I don't see anyone else that fits that bill. Like, are we supposed to believe that the uh, Harfoots are going to escort the stranger to the elves, and he's going to reveal himself a Sauron? Then, um, you know, uh, it seems more likely that it's going to be the Harfoots kind of protecting him from the Swedish death metal. I I just don't know. Like, I just don't see anyone else that looks Sauron-y that's on the board, and I feel like surely. Sauron is somewhere on the screen, you know, that he's not mm-hmm. going to be something in season two that, uh, and the, like the, all this has been just kind of like red herring. Someone's going to be Sauron on this show that's already been established, but that's maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Sauron will show up till season three. Um, but like also this is called the rings of power and I feel like we're probably going to start seeing them being forged. Do you have an idea that like, we'll start to see these beaten forged next episode? Man, we are so far off the rails now. I don't know when anything's going to happen. Because the other thing is, like, we didn't talk about this, but the dwarves, uh, um, you know, they, they leave them on a triumphant note, decent and and be like, aha, this kingdom will one day be ours. Well, not in time to save your elf buddies. So, like, right. yeah, I guess you'll, you'll, be, you'll be rich and wealthy on the bones of your friend's kingdom, but... Um, I, I, yeah, it's like, I, I feel like the rings of power, we'd have, like, forged a ring uh by now uh or like would be doing it in the finale and man maybe in the whole first season of rings of power there will in fact be no rings no power so what i was hoping for before this episode was that sauron has been off screen whispering in kelebrimbor's ear the lie that uh the trees are dying and the uh the elves are dying because of the lack of mithril because of the lack of light from the trees which again i'll reiterate does not make any sense i mean a lot of the elves have no have never been to the light of the trees and don't depend on it at all, so I don't understand it. But anyway. But it seems true. Mithril does heal the tree. Yeah. It does seem true. That's why I was like, before this episode, uh-huh. uh, it does seem true now, and I'm upset about it, but I'm going to disregard it for now because I've complained enough this episode. Um, but I wanted him to be whispering in Celebrimbor's ear, and that's why he's like, yeah, you know, I could use some of that power. I could use something like Fane, or I could be great. Yeah. And because uh, that's what Sauron's good at is like making you, you know, uh, finding out what you fear, which for Celebrimbor seems to be like insignificance uh, and f- giving them a way to conquer it and sort of what Halbrand was saying. And I think that that would have been a cool way to do it with Celebrimbor. And that still could happen without the, the mithril lie. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if there'll be, like, at the very end of uh, episode eight, uh, Gil- Gilgalad will be working with Celebrimbor, and they'll be like, oh, wow, it's a good thing we got ahead of this problem, and we're going to be able to save our people, thanks to the wise advice of our friend Lord Anatar. And they pan over to yeah. some smooth but vaguely evil-looking elvish <laughs> guy, and then, you know, uh, th- that... I don't know. That sounds kind of cool, but also kind of cheesy. But like, maybe, maybe that's that's how you would do it. I'd be in for it. Yeah, I I, I think that you you need to have Sauron come in at some point before the end of the season, or it feels a little off. Hmm. All right. So the last part of Matthews is I'm hoping the Mystics are Avari elves from Rune, which is the east, and two of them continue looking for the stranger while one shows up in a region at the last moment of the season. Hello, my name is Anatar. Closing credits roll. What do you think about that, Aaron? You know what? I wouldn't hate the lead Swedish death metal elf band being being Sauron. That's a woman, by the way. 
Is it? I thought it, I thought the I, I thought they might be non-binary of some sort, and I'm like, well, that, that makes a lot of sense that there's this adrage. I gotta double check, so write in if I'm wrong. Feel, feel free to correct. Me, yeah, I'm it, pretty sure it's a woman. Um, but there's like that. There's this adrogynous, um, I would describe as striking, but still beautiful. Um, power like look like they have power and grandiosity to them. Um, and, and a weight to them. And like, this seems like a way that you could depict someone who checks all the canonical depictions of Sauron in their guise of appealing and, you know, friendly and, and gaining your confidence and trust, but still be somewhat sinister to where the audience would be like, Oh, I don't know about this person. Yeah, I could, uh, that, that seemed, I don't know anything about these elves from Rune, um, Avari elves, because that's the other thing. Just being very cagey about these people's ears. Yeah, you know their headgear. The Avari elves are just the elves who refuse to go to Valinor at all. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I think I I think that that'd be kind of cool. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we're liking your theory, Matthew. Uh, would you like to read Vanessa? Yep. As a musician and pianist, I love the question regarding musical dissonance as regards to Tolkien's music of creation. I especially appreciated John's explanation referencing the Neapolitan sixth chord. You didn't have a ready example, but one of the min- your meeting readers may be familiar with Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. You can hear the N6 chord, the Neapolitan sixth chord, at uh, the 22nd mark on this YouTube video. Once you know what to listen to, it's fairly easy to recognize. And we'll link that video in the description so y'all can listen if you want to know what I meant. She's referring to, on the last feedback episode, I talked about mm-hmm. the music of the Ainur and the uh, the discord of Melkor. And I sort of used an example of, like, you know, maybe it's something where it was a super dissonant chord and then Eru Luvatar goes and resolves it for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks for writing that in, Vanessa. That's that's a great example. Uh, all right. So next is Frasirius, who says, am I the only one who thinks... Theo is Arandir's son. He is clearly darker of skin than his mom, and we have not seen his ears. <laughs> they have been covered completely in every episode. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, I, nah, nah, I'm not, I, that, we had someone send that in early on too. I just, I don't buy it. I don't buy, uh, Arandir and Bronwyn do not seem like the type of couple who were secretly slamming 15, 16 years mm-hmm. ago. It seems like this is a long smoldering thing that's recently caught fire, uh, uh, and only because Aaron Deer is going to have to leave them. Like it would kind of. The more I've gotten to know them, it would kind of like break my idea of what I thought they were as people if they actually had gotten together and had sex. Yep. You know, and for Aaron Deer to be completely like, I had sex with you about uh, you know nine hmm, months ago, <laughs> ten months ago, and now this kid comes out that's got my, you know, like yeah, nah, I was like that. Aaron Deer would be like a Forrest Gump level moron to not put those two th- together, you know? Yeah, and like the Valar always treat as a very special case children of elves and men. Sure, use those some of their elf juice, and they know what's going on in Middle Earth. Yeah, and and Manway, the king of the Valar, he he can see he can see what's going on in Middle Earth with the eagles yeah. and, his, and his mountain. Yeah, these these type of tawdry romances are the things of House of the Dragons. This is not this is does not be the, become the Rings of Power. Exactly. All right, so we put this theory to bed. Are you fra serious right now, man? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, LC, moving on to the next one. LC says, greetings from cold and rainy Glasgow. Glasgow? Glasgow. 
Uh, unfortunately, no dwarves here. They might be further up north. I was just listening to the Wandering Day song that Poppy sings, and I feel like there are maybe some clues there to lend support to the idea that the stranger is an Ishtari. But as someone unfamiliar with a lot of the Eru, Valar, Tolkien, biblical fanfic stuff, I was a bit unsure. The line that first made me pay attention was Black Sand for My Bed, which is, uh, to me echoed the stranger's arrival when Nori and Poppy found him in the ashes of the crater. I was also wondering if the line, the light in the tower, no longer my home, could be referenced to Tolkien Heaven or the Undying Lands. Uh, I'm not sure if these are one and the same. Is Eru in the Undying Lands along with the Valar and chilling with the Maiar? I don't think God's living in the land of Valar, right? No, he's not. He's uh, Eru is completely outside creation. Right, right. He's in the Matrix construct. Mm-hmm. Uh, then past eyes of pale fire. Feel like this could just be a nice ending line, but didn't know if it could be a reference to Eru. Eru. Then trees of stone. I don't know if that could be a reference to the two dead trees of Valinor. I know this isn't a mind-blowing theory or anything, but thought there were some potentially nice parallels there. Also, just to say I'm loving the podcast, just me and my husband, or I think me and my husband look forward to it as much as the TV show right now. High praise, John. Well, thank you. Uh, I meant to delete that part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, you, do you know that uh, as, when as I'm reading this email, black sand for my bed, I think of that as like volcanic sand. Mm-hmm. Now that she's talking about like making p- connections and she's building this to this, and the light in the tower no longer my home, like the, you know, the towers that we typically meet in the Lord of the Rings are evil. Is this more of like a subvert, like it's a very sweet, and I love this song. It's one of the highlights of the season. But, like, is it a little bit more sinister, maybe? Well, I, I wouldn't say towers are always evil in Lord of the Rings. I mean, always. Uh, Without fail. kind of evil. thing. Evil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, well, yeah, I mean, I guess this Elvish tower that we had this season was evil. But there's a lot of watchtowers See? for good people, too. Watchtower of Amontil? Uh, You know, the towers of the Palantiri, you know, things mm. like that. Orthanc was not evil before Saruman. Uh, it's evil yeah, now. So, I'd say that. I don't think that they're going to sinister with the harfoots but you know maybe i'm wrong but yeah eru is outside of creation so that doesn't super fit in but you know what if they're going for for dark harfoots you don't you don't think the people whose entire culture is built on the bachman book the long walk couldn't be evil i don't know man i don't know have you heard the people being the irish being super offended at the accents, yeah, yeah, we had we we had an Irishman right in. I I get it. Did you? Yeah, I get it. Uh, yeah, I I get it too. I I was like, wow, that is that is fascinating. I didn't even think about it. So yeah. thank you for enlightening us, the Irish. I, that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, and I think that'll be. And honestly, I feel like in the twenty, like there, um, I, I feel like this is like the early twentieth century is going to be a lot of the world catching up to how shitty we've been to a lot of the other part of the world. And, like, I think one of the things is once we get all the, the racial and gender identity stuff, it's going to be, like, class because, mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to code someone criminal and stupid, you give them a working class accent of whatever country that you live in. Yep. Elsie, tell us if the Scottish dwarves offend you. <laughs> right in on the next episode. <laughs> all right. We've got one more uh, and it's a pretty simple one. It's a pretty logistical one. Uh, so Jace says, enjoying the podcast and deep diving into more lore. I have to say Marilyn is so fascinating. I've been loving her comments and genuine love for Tolkien. Would love for her to be a regular contributor. Marilyn is great. And she does email me regularly with uh, with tidbits and things like that. So I just want to say thanks to Marilyn. We, we talked for so long and ended up being on three episodes. But she is excellent. She is so smart. 
uh, and so good at putting complex things together. Like we talked about the difference between magic systems in, in Tolkien on the last episode. Super great guest, and, and we love having her on. I'm sure she's going to be on again. Uh, so she says, all, uh, sorry, Jay says, also sad to see the show has so few episodes left. What's next, guys? I'd love to hear more about Unfinished Tales and the new book coming out in a few months, Tales of Numenor, no? Book Club? Honestly, you guys make me laugh at the arugula pronunciation. I'm glad, because I worked hard to make that inside joke a thing. <laughs> and can we hear more about the love between men and elf kind, elf kind, womankind, and elk? Okay. Men and elf. I, I, can't, I can't say your phrasing, Jace. Uh, I, I'll do the, the men and elf first. The men and elf stuff, there were three unions total in, in the writings of Tolkien. The first one is uh, Baron and Luthien. That's uh, the ones who, who uh, handled Morgoth and took one of the Silmarils back. Uh, ancestor of uh, Elrond and Elros. Then you have Idril and Tuor, who were involved with the city of Gondolin, which was the last elvish city to fall in the First Age. And then you have uh, Aragorn and Arwen. And so those are really the three elf-human uh, love fests. But there was also a fourth one, I can't remember the name of, where it was uh, unrequited and, and did not end up in a union. So, But these things, basically, they end up in people having a lovely life, and then the elf dies of grief, and everyone's like, wow, that was a big shame because that elf is lost forever. Uh, so <laughs> it's a controversial thing. Yeah, that's the thing is... Um the dark, th- the the dark thing about Lord of the Rings is Elrond is a hundred percent right about Arwen. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, she does get a brief moment of joy in in terms of like an elf uh, an elf lifespan, but they the appendix makes it clear that she kind of dies in anguish, uh, yeah, alone, bereft <laughs> of all companionship. Yeah, just like I, I, honestly, no. What what uh, Elrond says in the movie is a direct recital of her ultimate fate in the appendixes. So it's one of those bittersweet things. I don't remember. Yeah, I believe it's like all the things he said. It's like, you will last die alone completely. Blah. I forget exactly what, what, what all that cold smack he says, but it's essentially mm-hmm. a, a recitation of the appendix. Um, wow. And that's like bittersweet because they're so happy, you know, and it's such a great ending for, but like ultimately she's going to have thousands of years of life and then, El, you know, her life with Aragorn is going to be a few hundred years. It'd be like meeting the love of your life and getting to spend 15 minutes with them and then they're gone forever. And it's a lot more melancholy than I... Yeah, and I, I guess I guess Tolkien thinks that that's still romantic. And I think that Tolkien thinks that there's a human afterlife now where they're both happy. That is just a mystery, but they are in the arms of Eru Iluvatar. Because that's the gift of men is that they get to go back to Eru. Right. Whereas the elves are forever sundered until the end of the world. Right. At which point they'll still get to go to Eru, probably, unless Eru's a massive asshole. Tolkien, Tolkien's cosmology is—I don't know. There's debate. I think that I think that the prevailing one. I think the prevailing one is that uh, after the battle with Morgoth, the world will be remade and the elves will be back. Interesting. It's very Jehovah's Witness, where you got uh, a heavenly class and an <laughs> earthly class that get to inherit a perfected uh, paradise Earth. Well. We should mail them the Lord of the Rings, the whole organization. <laughs> um, all right. So the other point is what's next. So here, here's the lowdown. So on October 30th, the uh, the White Lotus is premiering. So the week before that, which is the week between these two shows, we're going to have 
a uh, a season wrap up podcast where we'll take feedback on the season, we'll judge the season entirely, we'll talk about season two, etc. Etc. Then the White Lotus, we're going to have full coverage. We're going to do it sort of ball move style where we do a recap, but we're going to try to go uh, a little deep into the production and things like that, sort of what we did for the preview season for Rings of Power. Uh, and we're going to go into like the showrunners, things like that. Uh, it takes place in Sicily, so we're going to do some details on that. So tune in for that. It'll be on this feed. If you're subscribed to our Lorehounds feed right now, the feed name will change and the artwork will change, but it will still be us. And uh, so after that, we're going to do the white, uh, the, sorry, the Wheel of Time. Uh, not sure when that's going to come out yet, but it might be out. We we might know by the time this episode airs because I know on Comic Con on Friday, which is when we're recording, they are announcing something regarding the Wheel of Time. So we will see, and we will keep you posted on that. Stay subscribed to this feed, and you'll get more. And then when Rings of Power is coming back, we'll probably do some more preview episodes, maybe on the first stage. And then we'll do full coverage again like we did this time. Uh, so, yeah, that's all I've got. You got any thoughts, Aaron? No, I, uh, thanks for having me on again. I'm very curious to see how we wrap up this season. I'm really interested to see how, uh, you know, as, as you guys develop into podcasters, uh, you you wish you success on your upcoming projects. And, uh, yeah, if you want to, you know, if, if, if you stumbled on the John and Dave's podcast, I want to know where you can hear more of my negative Nelly, uh, you can go to baldmove.com uh, or follow us on twitter.com slash baldmove to see what we got coming up because we are uh, finishing out House of the Dragon. Uh, Walking Dead's final season just started. And we're going to be shambling along into the grave with it. And uh, I'm not really sure what's coming out the, this the, the, the later this fall and winter. I don't think we have that uh, quite figured out. But next year, we're really looking forward to uh, HBO's uh, The Last of Us adaptation. Yeah. So yeah. Good stuff. But yeah, uh uh thanks for helping us with the lore this season. I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys think about the final episode and and yeah. No, I appreciate you coming on. I, I hope people go and check out Bald Move stuff if they if they somehow got here without going through you guys. And um you know, David will be back next week, so if you've had enough of me this season, uh David will be back hosting the show and I will just be the lore guy again, uh, much to my delight. You will diminish and remain John Delorehound. It's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, come back next week. David will be the first voice you hear, and I'll and I'll be the the lore guy again. And thanks for this ride with us. And Aaron, thanks again. And see you next week. All right, see ya. The Rings of Power Lorecast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can send questions and feedback about this podcast to secondageofbaldmove.com or write into Jim and Aaron at dug2deep at baldmove.com. For all Lorehounds content, subscribe to our Firehose feed, The Lorehounds. And for more Rings of Power content, subscribe to Dug Too Deep on your favorite podcasting platform. Check the show notes for reading recommendations and more info. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. 
Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>